Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Worst of Riot podcast. And Nikki and Isaiah is filling in for Hudson today. The Nikki and Isaiah version. Yay. Did you have fun today? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. <laughs> More than uh, Hudson. Well, I can't go into detail <laughs> of which day was better. Okay, well, we still have Monday too. Yeah. So you have I... another chance on Monday to really solidify my decision. That's right. And then you tell us which one's voted off the island. Yeah, exactly. Who's, who's kicked off the island on Tuesday? <laughs> so Hudson is on vacation. Uh, he'll return on Tuesday for that podcast. Isaiah's in for today. What do we have? So one thing we nailed down is it might not just be Hudson that brings up hot dogs on the show every single day. <laughs> and I also thought about when we brought it up on the show that we talk about it so much, it really is like the it's almost like a podcast, like inside joke yeah. that we talk about hot dogs like every single day. Because we brought it up. I was like, I don't know if we've ever said on there like how much we actually talk about it. But in the podcast, we're like, we talk about hot dogs so much. Because, like, usually for podcasts, I assume you guys are listening to the whole thing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we do a whole morning show, so there's more than just this podcast. So I don't think everybody's catching literally every part of the show. Uh, so we kind of described our the, the hot dog thing that we yes, have going on. That all of you know about, that yeah. you know how, how much we bring it up. But if you are eating hot dogs, you might want to take, take a list and know what we talk about later because... It's not so good. It's just not. It's just not looking looking too hot. But on the other side of food, we also have a long, deep conversation about waffles. We do. That lasted a while. It lasted a long time, but it was so good. We talked about my love for waffles and how breakfast food is by far my favorite food. It is. And we got some good options and ideas from listeners. So if you want to text in, even when you're listening to the podcast, we still get those text messages. Um, so just put that you're a podcast listener and you text 877 to Radio U if you want to add to it and put your name to. And then we also talked about how Amazon is coming to what feels like real life, I guess. Mm -hmm. They're no longer just going to be online. They're coming in to have their own little stores as well. Yeah, more than just what grocery stores and like locker locations, because uh, they already have those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else are they going to do? What more can they do? They already have, <laughs> Amazon's already made so much money that they're like, well, you know, we might as well just just open up buildings, I guess. And we've gone full circle with Amazon. Yeah, they, they've made it to where it's, it's all the way around. We talked about that. We also talked about my failure of an adventure with Jim. Uh-oh. Jim is dog. My little basset hound. I tried <laughs> to do something special for him, and it just wasn't what I expected it to be. Yeah. I thought it was going to be this big, nice thing, and he had to be even more disappointed than I was. Actually, I probably was more disappointed than he was, because yeah. he had no idea what he was really going into. Uh, you sound like a good doggy dad. I think he just probably was excited to go with you. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't even notice what you'll find out in the podcast happens. Yeah, he was excited to just get out of the house. For me, <laughs> it was a huge letdown, because I was like, dang, I had this big plan. thought it was going to be a special day, and then he just thinks it's just every other day. It's oh. nothing even special for him. <laughs> well, enjoy the podcast today. Isaiah, thank you for filling in. Yeah. And again, Ted. Say hi, 8772 Radio U, or go to Radio U Riot, our Facebook page, our podcast shows there. You can listen to them and always message us too. All right. Bye bye. Bye, everybody. 
It was bad enough the first time around, but now it's worse. Don't believe us? Just keep listening. You'll find out soon enough. This is the Worst of the Riot Podcast. Have yes. you ever heard of like the no shoes, no shirt, like no service? Oh, yeah, the sign when you go into a place. Of course, yeah. Do you think that applies for like breaking into a house? That's a good question. I mean, in the house, you don't have to have shoes. Because <laughs> shirt if you live there. A man broke into a house and immediately got super, super comfortable. Took off his shoes, took off his shirt, and in the they have a video of it. And it literally looks like he's just kind of lounging around. No worries in the world. He's moving in. He's just moving in. He's, he's looking around. <laughs> and they he went through the whole entire house. And they said that in the in the video and what they reported was that it, like he was looking for alcohol. Oh. But he looked like he was shopping. What? Like in the video, he's like checking out the bike in there. Like he was kind of just roaming around the house. But he wasn't stealing anything? He ended up leaving with nothing. Huh. But he was trying to. He already had broken into the house. He was trying to steal something. But I guess he just didn't find what he was looking for. So did he drink anything or was he just, they think, searching for... They think he was searching for uh, the alcohol. For something and he didn't steal anything, he, though. He was raiding the fridge heavy. Oh, he was he was searching well, through the fridge, which makes sense. If you're hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're just looking for stuff. So it looks like, did they... I think they're trying to find him. They're yeah, he's still on the loose. Yeah, they're posting video on it. The one thing that's weird is when you watch this, and this happens with a lot of our news stories, why does everybody have a camera right in your living room, I don't know. kitchen area? I mean, I understand outside stuff, like your front door and the yard. Yes. But don't you think it'd be weird to have a camera on you all the time in your living room? See, you know what I think it is? I think it's like a dog camera. You think? Because because for for my place I have a camera that sits in my living room so oh, I can see to watch your dog. so I can see Jim roaming around and you can like a puppy yeah exactly <laughs> so I need to know what he's doing during yes, the day so I feel like it's a dog camera that people have because why else would you have it just it's just perked up in the corner and it looks perfect it almost looks like it's a setup <laughs> I think it's either for dogs or everybody wants a viral video yes so if you think that maybe you'll catch someone this is in Surfside Florida and they are looking for the guy who. Took his shirt off and just walked around his house, uh, this person's house. You think, too, like, you know, like, everybody has, like, some sort of camera in their house now. Yeah. So if you're breaking in somewhere, like, you want to be, like, quick, get in and out, like, maybe wear something on your face. He's just roaming around. He has no worries whatsoever. Maybe he was already uh, partaking of substances and he wasn't. He wasn't even worried. Or he should have taken his shirt and just tied it around. Around his head or something. Because he's completely, you can completely see his face. Yeah. So the Authority said, I guess he got relaxed. <laughs> so he was in there to find something to drink, and he, he did just mosey around. Uh, but authorities are looking for the guy in Florida, and they have plenty of video of him without his shirt on, just not stealing anything. So I guess, I guess then what do you face criminal charges? Like breaking just the and breaking entering? And I'd entering say part? breaking and entering, which I don't know what, the, what you get charged for with that. Well, something. You have to go to, like, do you go to jail for that? I think you get shamed. Yeah, it's mainly shamed, maybe a fine. I think you get some days in the smaller jail, but not the bigger <laughs> one. <laughs> But it would be the more small if, little he, jail. Yeah, if he stole something, then it would have been more charges He for just him. didn't find anything that he liked. All right, well. Store at room temperature. Now that they can do. The Riot Radio U. We try really hard, and I think we bring it up more in the Worst of Riot podcast, but we we basically, and it's Hudson. It's like every day. Every day. I think we talk about hot dogs every day. At least once. In some once. way, shape, or form. Literally every single day, at some point during the show, hot dogs either come up or they're planned to come up or somehow <laughs> they get said and it goes on for like an entire break. <laughs> Why do you think that is? 
is. Is it Hudson? Hudson, because he he likes hot dogs. Like he, it's gonna a, cost him. It's a, gonna cost him gonna in the cost long him, run. It's gonna cost him days. He has a hot dog maker here that you put the hot dogs in, and then you put the buns in, and then every like you try not to say anything, but like uh, after show snack, I'll walk in and he's got like two hot dogs with ketchup all over it. So whenever people come in, they're like, "Why does it smell like, like hot, hot dogs, dogs in here?" <laughs> so I thought we we need to continue the tradition, even if Hudson's not in today. And It'll make him feel nice. Yeah, worry that the hot dogs that he's having um, could be potentially dangerous for him. This is a big time for Hudson because he's like the only <laughs> person the I know that enjoys hot dogs <laughs> so much to where maybe this will be put him in check a little bit. You think so? It could possibly. So when you look at this here, it says hot dogs could cost you 36 minutes of healthy life. So they take away 36 minutes of your life? They just start chunking it off every time you have a hot dog. This is a University of Michigan um, evaluation. They evaluated 5,800 foods that we like the most. And they said that some foods give you like give you minutes on your life and other foods take away and hot dogs is like the biggest one that takes away the 36 time. minutes is like a pretty big amount of time to get chunked is, off every single time so do you think that's per per hot dog or per like pair of hot dogs because he eats the two every that's gotta time. be per that's gotta be per hot dog if you're doing it like this you have to be like per hot dog per you hot think. dog well, at that point, um, Hudson. <laughs> Hudson, uh, you're, it's 30 every minutes day. every time. Yeah, you're, you're losing It adds a lot. up pretty quick. But it says choosing a serving of nuts instead could help you gain 26 minutes. Now, so, what nuts are just anything? or? Uh, let's see here. I assume it's just any kind of nuts. You think, right? Peanuts? Well, this is salted peanuts at 26 minutes. It'll give you 26 minutes uh, of healthy life. Oh, and it says baked salmon gain you some 26 and 16 minutes yeah, as well. we know that, but of no course. one wants that. No. I tried heating up salmon here once. Like heating for, it up? Like, I, I had it for dinner, okay. and then I brought it for Warm lunch the next day, and man, they opened up the windows. Oh, they yeah. They shamed me. I no was chance like, you can never, bring it back. I'm never bringing salmon in. Tomorrow's just pizza, I guess. It's <laughs> I pizza. I'm having hot dogs. Yeah, it's a hot dog tomorrow. <laughs> they said that rice with beans, if you eat that, will get you 13 healthy lifespan minutes. Um, some other negatives. This one hits me hard, man. I love chicken wings. Chicken <laughs> wings, I'll lose 3.3 minutes. 3.3? That's not that bad, though. Is that per so many serving other ones. or per wing? Because I can eat a lot of wings. It also says, this is kind of, I don't know about this. It says apple pie gets you plus 1.3 minutes. So no you gain, you gain minutes. you gaining minutes for, for apple, apple pie. pie. No I'm chance. Not. I think that's, uh, that's a lie there. <laughs> it has to be. How, why would you gain, maybe I guess it's just a fruit, I guess. Is, is apple pie good for you? It can't be. Well, that's... That's a big stretch. And I tend to have less apple, more crust. Oh, yeah. You like have I'll, to. I'll take that and I'll just leave the filling to it. But it must be the apple part of it. It has to be. Maybe they think we're like really loading up the apple. Mm-hmm. I think that for Hudson, it's not going to be a cutback of hot dog. Hot dogs. It's just going to be an addition of salted peanuts to try to just <laughs> even it out. He's going to have a hot dog and then a serving of salted peanuts, and then he only loses like 10 minutes. No, I That's not that bad. We're going to work hard on Tuesday when he comes back, and we're going to provide the healthy alternatives for him. Oh, my without gosh. Without him knowing about this story. So no one tells him, tell him. We'll just be like, hey, have some baked salmon. I just have extra. We're going to have an intervention with yeah. him. Hudson, we need to sit down with you. <laughs> We read this uh, University of Michigan thing. And we have something we need to talk to you about. And you're losing hours of your healthy lifespan. It adds up big time. It's quick. It happens really fast. And we're worried. The riot promise is that they'll always have an opinion on everything they talk about. But that doesn't mean any of their opinions will make sense. This is The Riot on Radio U. 
So have you ever done something, Nikki, and then it just didn't go out like how you thought it would at all? Well, absolutely. So yesterday I came home from work and I actually wasn't feeling that tired, mm. which for me was fantastic. Because he's, you know, getting used to being a morning person. Now. Yeah, of course. And so I get home and I go home to gym. I'm like, you know what? Let's do something special today. So I, I Google Maps. I'm like, where's the closest dog park? You got to explain Jim is your dog. Yeah, Jim is my dog. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have like a typical dog name. So Jim is, is an animal that lives puppy. in my house that I, I feed and I let him live there, but I, I decide I'm going to take him to a dog park, so yeah. I just Google dog park near me. It's like 17 minutes away. Not that bad, but a decent little trip. Well, then Jim gets a car ride and the dog park. He does love the car. He loves the car. Like, when I go outside with him and open up the car door, this dog, like, he's so, he's a bastard down, so he's super short and, like, really awkward. Like, he can't even get on the couch Aww. in the living room. He'll just put his paws on it Aww. because he's, like, so little still, so you had to pick him up. But if I open the car door, I have a truck. This dude will just scurry his way into it. I have no he can idea jump how. Into it? Somehow he can just out of the blue get into my vehicle, but he can't get on the couch in the living room. <laughs> he's it motivated. makes no sense. Yeah, he's motivated. <laughs> so I open the car door. He like scurries his way. I just like to watch him climb up there. And so he climbs up into the truck, and we we start going. I get there. I'm like, where the heck am I at right now? I'm like, the dog park should be here around like somewhere. And then I find it as I'm pulling in. I'm like, no way. <laughs> There is like, there's literally like one dog in this oh, dog park. You picked the wrong time. And there's just like this woman sitting in there. And I'm like, okay, well, at least there's like one dog in here. And it was Jim just like, can have a friend. It was this little chihuahua. Oh, and I didn't even know. I don't want to play. No, no. So I, I, bring, I bring Jim in there. And the chihuahua wanted nothing to do with him oh. whatsoever. Like he was. A little, like, kind of like a little yappy guy who just, right when we came in, Jim, like, loves to get in other dogs' faces and just yeah. starts sniffing right away. So he goes after this thing and the, jumps back, you know, like, he's kind of freaking out a little bit because I was like, well, you know, you think, like, you bring him to a dog park, he'd be, like, a sweet, like, a pretty sociable dog. This That's dude, not the case. This dude did not want anything to do well, with Jim. So they have, like, does Jim count? Because the dog parks near us have, like, the smaller size doggy yes. section and then the bigger size doggy section. They did have that. For does Jim count in which one? So he could be in the, he, he typically plays with large dogs yeah. just because that's like what, what all my friends have are bigger dogs. So he's used to playing with big dogs, but right now he probably would be in the small dog one. But for whatever reason, the Chihuahua is in the large dog section. Is in the wrong one? I have no idea why. I think it's just, it was bigger and it seemed nicer in sure. the large one than the small one. And I assume like if there's not a lot of people that go, you probably just put them in the large one because that's probably where the majority of people go. Well, you failed your dog. You I, brought him there and no one was there to play with him. He was probably so hyped up and then I brought him in there and he was like, what the heck is this? Like, this <laughs> is not a dog park. Why are you lying to me, dad? I was in the car. I was hyping him up to him. Like, you excited? Like, we're going to the dog park. It's going to be so much fun. We get there and he's like, I never want to come here again. You've got to take, I take my dogs to doggy camp. Yeah, so like, there's a dog place where, man, they're free inside. They don't care what they do. Of course, and yeah. The, the you know the backslide things open. They get all this fresh air. They just go play there at camp. It's like school for dogs. It <laughs> is. I mean, I spend more on my dogs for their daily care than anything else in your life. Anything else in your life. I'm not going to camp. Yeah, exactly. Just so, another day at school. You're yeah. dropping them off with their with so their little backpack. So they go to camp like uh, once or twice a week sometimes just to get them tired. Oh yeah. So they're all like tired for the weekend. But you should take Jim to doggy camp. I need to do something because when I come home after. Like when I'm tired during the day, he is just too much. Like he's still in like the bitey phase. And so I'm like coming on, like maybe I want to take a nap or something. And he's just, 
If I lay down, he is just literally attacking my face. He's going for it. It sounds like he's telling you he wants to go to dog camp. You might be thinking that this won't be quite as bad the second time around. Well, you'd be greatly mistaken. You're listening to the worst of the Riot Podcast. Did you see the story about the kangaroo, Nikki? I did not. I think it's it's in Pennsylvania, right? It said, yeah, it said in Pennsylvania. When I saw that, though, we have a lot of Radio U listeners in Pennsylvania. So I thought this Be is on a the good, lookout. Well, and also, like, grab it while you can. Yeah, exactly. So a kangaroo <laughs> is on the loose. And the weird thing is, like, typically when, like, an, an exotic animal like this breaks out, they typically come from, like, the zoo. But apparently, this one just came out of just thin air. Oh, nobody no one knows. is claiming it? And nobody's willing to just say, like, it was mine. Like, I stole the kangaroo, you know? Well, I think uh, there are what we call home zoos. Yeah. You know, like, you'd be surprised what people have oh, yeah. at their houses, especially the further out you get from cities. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, remember that tiger that got loose in Texas? Yes. That had, a, like, a lot of... Illegal stuff going oh, on. Oh yeah, there's it? a lot more. But there's a lot of them. That there was one group where I like grew up. Mm-hmm. It was probably about I would say like a half a mile down the road from me, and they had like mountain lions and all kinds of cool stuff that was like literally right down the road. I was like if that breaks loose, yeah, like it's literally within walking distance They're of where I to live. You first. They're coming. If I hear like that was the crazy thing, you could hear them like like howling at the moon and stuff. Like they were so loud, and so maybe that's what happened here. But at they the same time, wanna... I feel like you'd say like. It's my kangaroo. Yeah, but they don't want to claim it. They're yeah, just you don't want to be the one. You don't want to be the guy to let the kangaroo loose. Or maybe they let him out. Like they, you know, no, they freed him. Well, it could be like he got too big, or they always like we see so many videos of people dropping True. dogs off places like they shouldn't. They just it's, open the kangaroo cage. And maybe said, they had the kangaroo. Or they say it's maybe a wallaby, which is a smaller <laughs> animal. It's we a small. It it's not even a big one. It's a little one. Okay, it's a little one. So they're not sure, but um, I guess are they still looking for it? They're no one still- knows where. They're still on the look. And they said, the report said that the police at first thought it was like a prank call. They said that they thought like, oh, that's not like a real kangaroo. Yeah. But then there like, was like pictures and stuff that came out. They were like, oh, no, it's a kangaroo. Oh, he looks lonely. Like they have pictures of him. And he, oh, just, yeah. he just wants to go home. Well, I saw. The person who, where his home was doesn't want him anymore. I looked online because I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool as if like. You could be the one to catch him, you know? Yeah. But they were like, the, the police were like, don't try to catch, to catch him. But I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you came outside like with a piece of bread or something? And he would come And got to like feed him. But it says that kangaroos run 43 miles per hour. Oh, uh, we're not catching There's them, no then. chance you can catch this thing. Like if you, if 43 miles per hour is so fast for an animal to move that if you got up like in close quarters with it, there's no way. They're not, they're not small either. Like if you went to grab it, if it, if it ran like 10 feet, it would be gone. Well, what if you grabbed it from behind and like did a bear hug thing? You just hugged it. <laughs> you're just like, here, you're coming in and I, I'm not going to tell him I caught you. You just have to lure, I think you just need to lure it in with food. It's the only way you're going to be able to catch this thing is like with a little bit of food. Well, what do we good. think would a kangaroo want to be lured with food wise? I don't know. Maybe like a peach or something, something sweet. A peach? A peach. I think a mango, a strawberry. Thinking, first off, you're thinking we have those in our yeah, house. Exactly. So let's we think, have no berries. I was thinking potato chips. <laughs> like, let's let's think carbs. A chocolate bar? I don't uh, yeah. know. <laughs> Do you want the new McFlurry? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ice cream? Yeah, we can help you out with that one. He probably didn't get fed that before, so now <laughs> he's he's thinking like, oh my gosh, this is this is new. Before he was getting berries and nuts. Now he wants. We can ice show cream. him a Snickers. <laughs> so 
So Mount Zion, Pennsylvania is where he's been uh, sighted. So if you have any leads, they would like to be able to capture the kangaroo. Or you just do it on your own. Do it the old-fashioned way, bare hands, oh, you know? I don't know about that. With a net. What do people say, the uh, the hunters that go out and like, say they're just doing it with their truck? Oh, my, <laughs> yeah, I know. Just go, like, gently just push them over, but don't hurt them. Well, some people live for this. This is, like, their time to show, like, mm-hmm. that they're a man, you know? They can go, oh, oh you know what? The police can't do it. I'll do it the old-fashioned way. I'll go get him. Just remember, we're just trying to capture him. Everything you love about the riot, plus a handy-dandy fast-forward option. This is the Worst of the Riot podcast. Um, now that we've done the show for a bit, Isaiah, I didn't know if you're getting hungry. I am. I heard about your waffle time. I am getting very, very hungry. Usually when I'm in the, you know, the side studio, I can just come and go as I please as you guys are in here talking. And I'm over there making waffles and hanging out and doing whatever. But it is beginning to that time where I need my waffles. Usually I make them like 45 minutes ago. Oh, really? I wouldn't know it was that one early. I, it's like the third thing I do when I get in here. I do the news, I do the traffic, and then I go in and I make, some, go waffles. make some waffles. But yeah, like I said last time, I, I recently, I'm trying to mix it up because it's hard to do waffles every single day. Now, but I have I have it? them in there. It is, is it? it is. Are you sure? Because I'm I'm a big time breakfast person. I love it's like my favorite meal. Breakfast yeah. food is my favorite food. I don't know if you are a fan. Are you a breakfast eater? Because uh, I've I, never seen you eat breakfast in here whatsoever. I do I do a lot, and sometimes I'll eat after the show. Yeah. But I'm more like whatever I have leftovers, I'll usually just eat for breakfast. But I love eggs and like an omelet. Yes. But I'll have that at any time of the day. I actually sometimes prefer it for like lunch or dinner because yeah. I'm working, so I don't get to enjoy my breakfast. No, there's there's no en- enjoying the breakfast. But one day when I was in here at like nine o'clock, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have any waffles yet, and so I didn't, I was like still like bringing in things like Tim Hortons and whatnot into here. But one day I brought in nothing, and nine o'clock rolled around, and I was so hungry. <laughs> And so the only thing I had brought in for my lunch, I had brought in like some buffalo chicken wings, some traditional chicken wings. And so I texted my friends and I was like, guys, I was like, can I eat these? I was like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. You can. I was like, is it justifiable? I was like, I've been up for like five hours. So if I woke up at eight, this would be like one o'clock or so. I'm like, so is it justifiable for me to eat these buffalo chicken wings at nine o'clock in the morning? So I was mixed votes. Some people were like, no, you're disgusting. It's 9 a.m. I was like, if it was like honey barbecue, maybe buffalo, you cannot get away with that. But I ended up eating them and it changed my whole entire day. You can have whatever because like we, America, puts an emphasis on like breakfast. But like if you go to other places, you can, it's not like breakfast food. It's just you can have whatever food at any time. Yeah, exactly. In the morning. And we get up so early that our mid-morning snack is like your guys' dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can eat what we want to eat. By the time like 9.30 rolls around, that's like lunchtime for, for us. But for everybody else, it's like, oh, yeah, this is our, our breakfast or our donuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. My, if I'm eating breakfast, it's like 5 a.m. And I'm hoping to sneak it in. As you get more used to being up so early, you eat whatever you want to eat. Yeah, you <laughs> make, Don't feel bad about it. Instead of having like the typical three meals a day, you have like five because yes. like, like 9 o'clock, it's lunch. And then like 11.30 rolls around. And now it's like time for like 5 o'clock almost dinner. And then you get... Get off work at two. I'm hungry again. I'm like, when do I stop eating? It feels like it's like every three hours. I'm like, dang, my body's messed up or something. You're grazing. I, yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, I'll have a snack here and a snack there. And well, then if you want to, I'll give you uh, another song too. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. If you, if you want to make your waffles, but I was going to tell you there is some, because uh, I put something in the freezer yesterday. 
There's still the Fruity Pebbles ice cream oh. that we have. I thought if you made waffles and, and put, tossed that on there. And if you topped it with Fruity Pebbles ice cream, that would be like it's the cereal ice cream. Oh, that my would be gosh. really, really good. Yeah, like what do people put on waffles other than like, because I just do, I mean, now that we have whipped cream, I mean, that changed the past couple of days for me. It's fantastic. Because <laughs> we have whipped cream here. I put syrup on it and then I put whipped cream. What else could I like add to it? Like people put nuts on I know like chocolate chips are really, really oh, popular you should make waffles. eggs. You can make sausages. You can make a little sandwich. You you can oh, do chicken. Oh, yeah. Dude, chicken, your chicken wings would have been really good <laughs> with in between the waffles. waffles. <gasps> I should have done that. If I had had the waffles and then, like, I really could have justified the buffalo chicken at 9 o'clock in the morning, like Man, the chicken go wings. go crazy with that. Yeah, what do people put on waffles? Like, I, I, what's your, like, go-to thing to just toss on there? That'd be, like, really easy, though. Well, like, text can't be 877 to Radio U. Give them some ideas. It doesn't have to be healthy. It doesn't have to be pretty. Uh, but Max said, wings don't know what time it is. Yeah, exactly. They have Max, no idea. That's deep right there. So text Isaiah, help him out. It's got to be something that we can have like in the break room. Like super so easy. As much as like I like omelets, like I don't have an omelet station here. So. And I can't really make things either. So it needs to be something I can kind of just like throw Already on there. Here? Yeah, exactly. Right. Something easy. Well, if anybody has any ideas, 877-2-RADIO-U and let Isaiah know what you think he should have. Yeah! <laughs> you were one of the lucky few who missed the riot when they were live. Yet here you are. I also like to live dangerously. This is the worst of the riot podcast. Uh, Isaiah's in, and it is his, in case you did not hear, his morning waffle time. Morning snack, whatever you want to call it. I'm hungry. <laughs> hungry I'm very hungry. So Isaiah's been having waffles each morning, but now you want to try to branch out I realistically for what you can add to waffles. Here yeah. at work. Yeah, I just need just some, like a little bit of something. Just <laughs> anything to put on there because like waffles and syrup is good. But if you have waffles and syrup every single day for like two weeks. You're tired of it. It starts to get so old. <laughs> but what else am I going to bring in here? Like there's not a lot of things I can make very easily. Like I don't want to make eggs or anything like that. But that's just like a lot of work. Yeah. Where like the waffles I can just like throw in our little toaster ah. and just like put them in there for like six or seven minutes. I come back in here. Mess around, you know, and then I go back out Six there. Six or seven done. minutes for your waffles. Well, you want them to be crispy. They got to be crispy. Dude, don't burn the place down. No, 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 no. I'm sure that the kitchen's fine. It's, it's fine. Okay. That seems long, but it's a little long. Whatever you like for the toaster. Julia said, because we had mentioned, you know, especially when you're in morning, uh, like if you get up early like we do, we eat a lot during the day, like at like more than three meals. Yeah. And so Julia was saying, because you mentioned like you're just grazing, says it's healthy to eat five <laughs> or six smaller meals a day. You do you. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you know, what I said is, you know, I didn't even know that I was being healthy. I just need to work on like the smaller meals uh, part. Like everything else, smaller. I'm hitting great. I'm hitting five or six of them. But they just need to be smaller. My favorite thing is just going down and snacking like chips, yeah. you know. I go down to the break room, just kind of like graze around, see what's in there. It's a nice little break for me to walk around. And, you know, I'm just looking for something. I don't care if it's no meal cream pie or anything. It just needs to be something. Well, that way you're getting your steps in. Exactly. While you're still eating your smaller, healthy meal. I'm doing the stairs every single time. I'm doing like two <laughs> flights of stairs. So by the time I get down there, I've burned the calories Dude, that I'm about to eat. If you're listening, you're like, oh, Isaiah, that doesn't seem... Isaiah, I think, is the healthiest out of all of <laughs> <laughs> so he's totally fine. Arthur said Nutella, maybe, and said oh good goodness. morning. Nutella seems to be the main thing everybody's recommending. It is. That's like my favorite go-to. My, my, my girlfriend makes amazing Nutella crepes, 
and it is absolutely the greatest thing ever. I think I could eat it every single meal of the day. We used to get the big jar from Costco, oh, and then yeah. it would just sit on the break room table. Forever. But if you're eating waffles, like if you actually eat it. Every day. Then that would be good. Stacy said, yeah, put Nutella on the waffles. So that's what she does. Nutella, peanut butter, any of that stuff. I saw someone recommended jelly. Uh, yeah, that would be good. Peanut you butter and jelly. So? Oh, absolutely. I feel like jelly would be kind of a kind of a weird. I feel like it'd be good. Like I love grape jelly. I've always done like grape jelly on toast, like forever. Yeah, that was like my favorite thing growing up. Like in the morning, my dad would make me breakfast every day, Aww. and it always had to be a jelly on toast. It was the best part. But I feel like that'd be kind of weird on a waffle. Oh no, no, no! You think so? There's I think nothing it, weird. That's what we're just accepting. Right yeah, that's, now. that's like what we're. I, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I feel like there like maybe like some peanuts or something like that would be kind of good with like the okay. syrups. Peanuts uh, would be okay. So Julian said blueberries. Oh, uh, someone yeah. else texted in. You got to include your name, so text back with your name. But said waffles and peanut butter, and then add berries to it. Add berries. And then True went all out. Said, "Oh gosh, I'm so hungry too. This is awful. I know. Like I haven't if eaten them hungry, yet. Okay, guys, does, I love talking about food." But when you're hungry, sometimes it's the worst. I know. Sausage, egg, and cheese oh waffle sandwich. Goodness. He said that you can microwave your egg in the bowl and then uh, put together the sandwich. Oh, and you man. can do it here at work. It'd be so easy. It sounds so easy. But at the same time, I'm just so hungry right now. I just like <laughs> want it now. Jason said, Isaiah, you could get some frozen chicken strips and have chicken and waffles. Oh, man. Because we could just microwave it in the break room. I do love some chicken strips. I don't think I'll see you in the morning if you're doing I don't all think this. So. You know what we need? <laughs> I'm the new person, but we need one more new person. We just need like a chef. What do you think about having just like a chef an at the intern? radio station? Yeah, an intern chef. <laughs> We're taking applications right now. Intern chef, new position. So are you going to pay for the food? or? No, 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 no. That's a part of the internship. Oh, you you do the shopping as well, of course. That's what you do. You wake up a lot earlier than we do. Well, I think you've got some good ideas if you want to implement them. But otherwise, you just have only regular waffles this morning. Yeah, well, they're they're almost ready right now. So we just like have to go. Oh, you put them in the toaster. Oh, they're ready. Hudson sees the glass is half empty. But get this. He thinks a glass half empty is good. The Riot. Radio U. They had his morning waffles, so he's fed. I feel a lot better now. <laughs> but not quite, you know, If I feel a lot better. I did put the whipped cream on there, the syrup, and I added the Fruity Pebbles ice cream as well, I, which was so good. Dude, you're going to crash in like 20 minutes. I know. I'm going to be all hyped up for the next 30 minutes. I'll be talking like crazy. And and then the end of the show, I'm just going to be dragging. <laughs> but I also like reading everybody's text in here. Like, I really, really want to put some Nutella on them. That's so the bad. next step. Next week on Monday, bring in Nutella. Have, oh, your, yeah. have your waffles. Because, like, after seeing everything they texted in, I was like, wow, like, these waffles could be so much better. But <laughs> the not, Fruity Pebbles were a good touch. They were good. You're not doing enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and you're not doing it the right way. I need just a, just a little <laughs> bit more, and then my mornings will be just, like, that much better. But I do feel... A lot better. Re-energized for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> well, I felt bad because so much food talk. Like, Chris, he texted in, and he wasn't going to eat till he got to work, but yeah. he's already starving now of course. from hearing all that. So on to how about cat talk and gun talk <laughs> from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, this was, I mean, someone did get shot, but they're fine. Yeah, they're okay. So I think the uh, details around the shooting are what <laughs> you would not expect to hear about happening. Yeah, when, when, you, when you think about someone getting shot, you Usually, like, 
pretty like traumatic. Yeah. But this is just so stupid. Like it's just so <laughs> dumb. Still traumatic for the person. Yeah, but... it's traumatic for the person who got <laughs> shot. But so apparently, you know, like when you're playing like with your cat, yeah, and like with a little laser pointer, and they're like chasing it around and whatnot. So some people have those on a firearm. Yes. So they thought it'd be a good idea to use the firearm laser pointer. As like a little toy. So I don't know if there's any, I mean, like I have a gun. I just don't use it. It's, it's, yeah. but like, I don't know enough about laser pointers. If you had a laser pointer on a gun, like a laser sight. Yes. So does that work or does it only work if it's attached to the gun? Cause for this lady, she had it attached to the gun, which some yes. guy brought in and she didn't realize she thought the magazine had been taken out of it. But it had not. So when she was playing with the cat with the laser sight, it ends up uh, shooting the guy who I maybe it's the guy who brought the gun. The guy I'm pretty sure it's the guy who brought the gun shot him in the thigh. <laughs> At least it was the thigh. I but know, at the same that's... time, like, <laughs> how do you like you know you're not supposed to? Cat. Yeah, exactly. At least they didn't shoot. At least they didn't shoot the cat. But at the same time, like you know you're not supposed to play with guns. Like whether you think there's a magazine in there or not. But like they probably were like laughing and giggling and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it just goes. It changes. That's why I wasn't sure if you take the sight, like a laser sight, off of a gun. Can you still use it? Does it work as a laser pointer then? You know, I'm just not sure. Yeah, exactly. Enough. Can you just attach it on there and then now, there's just, just a different button? But William just texted and said it'll work when it's off the gun. So well, they then just take didn't it off take the it gun. Off. Yeah, take it, it off, off the gun. You know, like what do you think? Like you know, you're not supposed to play with guns, and then you're using it to play with your cat. Now this is not a surprise. They say witnesses say that the woman who used the gun with the laser sight um, had been drinking oh, of course. and was not probably fully aware and the guy in the doorway, they, they didn't say what he's been doing. <laughs> <laughs> but he went into another uh, apartment after he got shot. Police found him after they called 911 and they were able to stop and uh, stop the bleeding. It seems he's fine, but he is facing charges for violating bond conditions because he had a weapon that was his gun. Well, well, how I think of this is in two ways. He, he left the room, which is because of one of two reasons. He was so mad at the fe- at the female for shooting him, or it sounds like the party might have just continued to go on. He didn't okay. want the music going on, you know? Oh, sure. He wanted somewhere to relax. <laughs> I'm thinking it has to be because he was upset with the girl, but you never know. Maybe she just continued on her night. Maybe this is just another Saturday for her. I don't think she was fully aware of everything, but again, no chance. after this story, me, Nikki, is just so glad, and I just want someone to get in and get the cat out of there. Yeah. That's a rough environment. <laughs> this cat is not in a safe home, <laughs> no, let alone anybody else, but that cat is in Listen, danger. We'll take it, okay? Okay, if you're playing with guns, you can't be around cats. Yeah, you just need to buy a laser pointer for the cat. We don't need to use one that's on the gun. If you're looking for hot takes on the day's most important news stories, uh, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to The Riot on Radio U. One thing that isn't going so well is just people's behavior in really small spaces like an airplane. <laughs> and because of that, they had to extend the ban on main cabin alcohol sales through 2022. Yeah, so this is going from American Airlines. So I'm not sure what the other uh, airlines will do, but there was questions concerning like how long will a mask mandate be in effect? And then with that, how long will alcohol sales be banned in the main cabin? That means probably still first class. <laughs> So if you want it, you can get yeah, it. You just have to pay, pay a little extra. 
all the gremlins in the back, they that. are not allowed. But but us, us finer people in the front. Yeah, they can handle it. Yeah. I we, wonder if that's what that means. I've never noticed that they say main cabin alcohol sales. It's, I mean, if, if they are talking about that, then it would be like, where else is it at? Like, that is first it has class. To, it has to be. Why else would you... Would you say it unless like the the flight attendants or something are, are able to have it or something like that? Are you saying the pilots? The can pilots, still have it? the um, main they, cabin, but I mean obviously in the front where where the adults are, we're allowed to have it, you, <laughs> you know. Can't. So American Airlines though had a ban on uh, main cabin alcohol sales uh, that was only supposed to last so long, but now they are not going to resume alcohol service for the main cabin until January eighteenth of twenty twenty two. So next year, they say that they want to create a safer environment for the crew members and the customers. And alcohol was not helping that during, especially earlier COVID times last yeah. year. It also says they've dished out one million in fines. Oh to yeah, bad, they're going to, after people. And the, they said the steepest fine. I have not seen this story. The steepest fine of forty five thousand dollars was to a man who threw objects at fellow passengers and stuck his head up a flight attendant's skirt. Oh no. The worst part is like $45,000 is like a large amount of money. Like he got on that plane not thinking he was going to get off having to pay $45,000. Do you think they just take it out of your wages at they that have point? To, I don't know what the heck Who you would do. Who has $45,000 to pay a fine? Exactly. Like if you get fined $45,000, like what the heck were you thinking? Two-thirds of the cases involve passengers refusing mask rules. 17 involve flights, uh, fights on the planes. Uh, all headed to or from Florida. <laughs> so they want to point that out. Uh, so they just say that alcohol can be a, a big problem with that. Before COVID and everything, I used to, like, we've all seen an, an unruly passenger when flying. Yeah. But one time I watched this guy, he just kept banging the table. Like, he was really, really uncomfortable. And he had been drinking a lot. But then I realized, like, he was drinking because he was afraid of flying. Mm. And I know some people will try to do that but then they sometimes will mix medicine or they'll drink too much and then they just kind of lose control and on then the that's plane. when it starts to go downhill and it is and then other people you're just uh pre-gaming yeah <laughs> and then when you get on the plane your pre-gaming affects everybody else on the plane and the worst thing too is like when you're on a plane like nobody wants to be on a plane like you want to get on it and you no want to get off it as to. soon as possible so if you're being like annoying or an issue on a plane like, we know you don't want to be there, but nobody else on the plane wants to be on there either. So you're making it 10 times worse for just everybody. Like, can't we just sit to ourselves and twiddle our thumbs for an hour or two? Can we just be quiet until yeah. we get there? Unless, now, Isaiah, I would want to see someone. This is so bad. Don't judge me for it. But I wouldn't mind seeing someone duct taped to the chair. <laughs> okay. If, if nothing else happened and the guy or the girl's fine. You just want to be sitting next to the guy that's duct taped. No, I don't even want to be in the same row. I just want to see what that feels like. <laughs> to be on the plane when that happens. You want to be just close enough. You want to watch like disaster happen from just close enough, but from a safe distance. Just from a safe, safe distance. watching distance. I want a viral video that I'm the one who took it and that's all I want. Otherwise, I would like a peaceful flight like you were saying just a peaceful flight outside of his like he has to have an outburst of course it has to be crazy <laughs> and then the whole the whole duct taping part i want his mouth covered and also both hands behind the seat I so tom, that. tom was saying that too can we just duct tape uh so that we don't get annoyed the whole flight now technically i think the airlines are backtracking saying to their uh airline flight people don't duct tape people to the chairs but uh you never know the riot, riot. podcast radio you 
And we're getting to that point in time where people are beginning to go back to school. But this high school in California is not able to start because they have a rat infestation. I don't even know if that conveys enough. The, like, yeah, infestation. Literally. I don't know if you saw, but they were saying how uh, everybody's especially mad because at this high school and in this school district, it's Montebello, um, they had been putting pictures up the entire summer of like painting, cleaning, all these schools, all in like tip-top shape and stuff. And so everybody got really frustrated when teachers started to go back into the classrooms last week and this week. Uh, They arrived to kind of like get everything ready for the students. And uh, it was supposed to open on Monday this week, but that's when they noticed the... Uh, the non uh, the non human students. <laughs> yeah, the little ones running around the a little, little bit smaller ones, than yeah. usual. Not so, little kids either. So in this high school, they said that there is a massive uh, rat infestation. There's dead rats. There's live rats. <laughs> there's rats nest. There's rats number two. <laughs> like there's Everywhere. everything in there's all rats. of the rooms. There's rats just co- totally taken over. Well, it's funny because like the kids. I don't know if they have to, like. Because uh, during the summertime, like, everybody loves summer, and then you're excited to go back to school in the fall. Mm. But you really, you love summer. Like, at least when I was in summertime, I was like, oh, I'm you not ready to go longer. back, right? But one of the quotes was from one of the students, and it read, I'll read it as if I'm, per- how I kind of took it. Today was supposed to be my first day of school in person since March of 2020. Aww. Instead, we're shut down because of a complete rat infestation. Oh, they haven't been back since? Since then, apparently, which Aww. I understand, you know, you want to go back to school. But at the same time, I feel like this kid's kind of posing a little yeah. bit. He's not that excited to go he back to school. Care. He doesn't care. He's ex- I would be excited, like, oh my gosh, another week of summer. Like, that'd be exciting for me. Well, they sent an email out to everybody saying it's going to be closed for the next couple of weeks. So no, like, exact oh, time. Wow. And since they had done so much in-person learning, they're now saying that students will be put on an independent study program. Oh, which, my goodness. When I ever did that, it was like, I'll independently not study then, but thank you. So nothing. So it doesn't seem like it'll be the same. Uh, they're not like starting Zoom classes all over again, uh, but they do say it'll take a few weeks. They also had problems with air conditioning in some of the classrooms that had no windows. So they said that, you know, for California, that's a covid safety measure um, problem because you have to have a certain like ventilation system like we got to breathe yeah so like, you gotta have air <laughs> i don't know if that has anything to do with covid honestly like at the same time like you just need ac and well, in there you know now they're watching it yeah exactly now <laughs> so, they're like okay this is a covid thing we, we actually yeah. can't come back so they had that and just the uh they think the rats are also in the ducting like for the oh, air conditioning yeah. unit so that's they're messing why. everything up they're taking over yeah so it's, it's just uh it's you know a nice reminder that as you go to class or if you go to work today it could be way worse. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, you could go and then there could be things screwing under your feet. It just gives me the chills. Like, there's I know, nothing grosser than a little rap. You just heard the worst of the worst. We'd give you the best of the best, but we'd have to find that. As soon as we do, you'll be the first to know. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.
Are you expecting a child tax credit? Deposit and spend it securely with the BB&T Money Account prepaid card. It makes managing your everyday spending easy. Apply for a prepaid card at bbnt.com slash money account. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Clint and Greg, or Greg and Clint, whichever way you want to say it. In another commute, yes, I know, that's three in the last week and a half. Yeah. Yeah, we're on a roll. Yeah. So, Rolling around in the air-conditioned truck. Well, hey, it has air conditioning, so that, that's key. you may or may not hear it, but didn't hear it the last time. Oh, I heard uh, it just a little bit, but oh, did you? Not bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, either way, we're not in a studio, so uh, yep. all the sound effects you ha- you'll hear are, are natural. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> we're making those. We're, we've yep. got authentic backdrops. Yeah, that's it. So we figured we could talk about some terrain this time. Yeah, since there's a lot of terrain around there's, we're driving. Well, in any type of tabletop gaming, terrain always makes the board or the table yep. um, yeah, a bit more fun or more sure. gaming. Well, I don't know if gaming, right? Gaming. I don't know about, yeah. Yeah, it depends. I don't we want to make it more gaming. Yeah, but it depends. <laughs> that, uh, that just doesn't sound as fun. I, 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 well, I don't know. I mean, it depends if you're playing the game for a few days and you're not yeah, yeah, looking up yeah. a shower. It might be gaming. Yeah, it might be gaming, but then that's almost like a comic convention at that point. Oh, well, those are kind of fun, though, sometimes. Clint. We'll right. do a show on that, too. I rag on the comic conventions, but I like comic conventions. So <laughs> really, you know. I have no room to talk, just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, no, we thought we'd just kind of do some, a casual chat on terrain. Um, I mean, everybody who games video or otherwise understands terrain. You, you've got to have terrain in your game. I don't know of any game that doesn't have terrain. You know, even space games technically kind of has terrain. You've got planets, you got space stations, you got asteroid well, fields, you got other ships. And if you're inside the ships, then you have hallways, hallways and obstacles. Yeah, I mean, that's technically terrain. Well, think about it. So you guys all know we do kill teams. There's terrain oh, yeah. there. There's terrain, yeah. Uh, we do Team Yankee, Team Yankee. Of War, you know, so there's lots of terrain there. Warhammer. Yeah, War, uh, worlds like Warhammer, you have all sorts of terrain. And yeah. the World War II or historical ones, there's a lot of terrain. There's, there's a lot of terrain, yeah. yeah. And, and it can be simplistic terrain or more detailed terrain. Um, so let's let's keep a, I guess kind of an, I got, kind of got an outline of how I wanted to do this. Okay, let's so, do your outline. One of the things I wanted to focus was just the other terrain types, and so um, start with simple two-dimensional terrain. I mean, simple two-dimensional terrain. So most games, as you know, box sets, whatever, usually come with two-dimensional terrain. Tanks came with two-dimensional terrain. World of Tanks yep. came with two-dimensional terrain. Printed cardboard stock uh, terrain. You know, really nice cardboard stock terrain, but stuff like. Uh, Cyberpunk came with two-dimensional terrain. The Cyberpunk, uh, our Cyberpunk Red, came with two-dimensional terrain. Oh, it did. Terrain. Oh, the maps, wow. the you know, the, your flat maps. Your uh, obviously our Victory at Sea came with two-dimensional water terrain because it's just a flat map. Um, you, you get your simple grass mats, your simple sand mats, your simple whatever. Two-dimensional terrain is a very easy terrain. Uh, Dust Tactics came with two-dimensional terrain. I, just like. Uh, was it? not X-wing. Well, X-wing kind of did. I mean, came with asteroids and everything. But, asteroids and satellites. Um, the Star Wars miniature game that came out before had a lot of little bits of terrain. 
D&D uh, &D has tons of two-dimensional terrain. I mean, you buy box after box after box of just two-dimensional terrain. Caves, cities, fields, forests, you know, oceans. I mean, there's so much two-dimensional terrain for D&D. &D. You, you know, and you can even take, there, there are some kits of two-dimensional terrain, terrain that have clips to hook them together to make them a faux, what I, I always call a faux three-dimensional terrain. So it's still, it is three-dimensional in the sense of it's a giant box, it's a giant cube, a square, whatever. Um, uh, Drop Zone Commander had a lot of really cool oh, they had milk carton neat. buildings, is what I call them. So yeah. they, they looked like, you know, they were about milk carton size that you could fold into buildings. And it, it's awesome terrain. It is faux terrain. It's not true three-dimensional terrain. Nothing wrong with it, just it, it has it. Two-dimensional terrain is great for games when you learn to play. Uh, going back to like Dust Tactics or even Star Wars miniatures, where you had the maps with the walls marked out and you're, you moved your miniatures on each individual square. D&D &D is kind of that way too. And you know certain squares had solid lines and were walls you couldn't pass. This had this, this had, you know, or this was maybe your elevation. Battletech uses hexes, so that's their terrain, even though it's flat and it indicates this or that for, you know, elevation changes, deep water, all that. So you've got that in a two-dimensional format. Um, there are some nice-looking two-dimensional you know, terrain. So yeah. Two-dimensional terrain is easy. Now, anything can be two-dimensional terrain. A piece of green felt can be a forest. A piece of brown felt can be, you know, a desert hill. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, however you want to do it, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, for instance, I'll interject on that real quick. We used to take the blue felt squares you could get for a dollar from oh, the fabric yeah. pack yep. from the shops, and we just would, you know, wiggly cut with scissors yep. or curvy cut, whatever you want to do. It, we would make our own river there's for the tanks to cross. Water, yeah, yep, exactly. Water. It's cheap terrain, and it works great for the game. You get to us, we demand a little more. We're a little spoiled. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be honest here. We demand more. We're, we're a little spoiled and with our terrain. If I'm going to have three-dimensional tanks that I spent time building and painting and, and even sometimes customizing, I want a three-dimensional building to hide the tank behind. Yeah. I don't want to put it on top of a piece of flat cardboard and say, okay, it's hiding behind this building. You can't see it. That is a drawback to you know, it. You yeah. it, know, it takes something away. If you're, if you're playing with a two-dimensional cardboard standee, on a square map with two-dimensional terrain, that makes sense. I, I'm, you know, the two-dimensional standee is now there as a representation of a figure, so you kind of know where it is in position to things. Three-dimensional, three-dimensional. Oh my God, I can't talk today. Three-dimensional figures, three-dimensional tanks, three-dimensional whatever. I want three-dimensional terrain. Yeah, I don't blame you on that. I, I, I prefer the stand-up buildings and just all the terrain that stamps out on the maps as opposed to the flat ones, but. Flat ones are cool when you get it for the box. If you just yeah. get a box set, it gives you something to game with. But yeah, we've kind of moved past that. A bit. Yeah, and it is easier to transport to dimensional terrain. But so, con pros and cons with three dimensional terrain is cost. So it's going to be more expensive. There, there's you know, it's there's more to it. There's material cost. There's sometimes building, painting, you know, or you get pre done, which then you pay for pre done. You know, you're uh, Battlefront three-dimensional terrain is awesome. It's all ready to go. It's painted. Everything's set, but you pay for that piece of terrain. You know, 
it's not a $5 piece of drink. <laughs> you know, it's just not. There's a lot of sources where you can get untainted or, you know, needing to be assembled three-dimensional terrain, ter terrain. And even some of the two-dimensional terrain made into three-dimensional, if done right, can look really good. Laser-cut terrain, for example, you know, MDF that's laser cut, but it has some depth, so you've got archways for the doorways, and you've got, you know, roof extensions yeah. that go over the door and cover the windows, and, okay, so, you know, technically it's two-dimensional that's been turned three-dimensional, and it, it's still sort of a box, but not necessarily, because there's a lot of ways you can change a laser cut piece of terrain to not be two-dimensional, so, just, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, with me doing the 3D printing, uh, getting more and more into it, learning more and more about it. You can it, bring that it, 2D to life now. Yeah, and it gives us a ton of options at a more reasonable price. It's not going to be yeah. free. you got to buy the machine. you learn to use the machine. you got to buy materials for the machine. you got to maintain the machine, clean the machine, prep the machine. But what you get out of it is you can, as you know, I just did that little little a medieval house that I'm going to turn into a roadside church for Team Yankee so I'm going to modernize it a little bit is it gives you some versatility my print cost on it was a dollar something so it's not expensive no see once you get it up and going yeah. you can print your train pretty cheap yeah I can knock a bunch more of these out within a few hours you know, half a day at least if I do two of them it'll probably be six or seven hours but still, I can knock it out. Now we've got two more buildings, you know, good to go for Team Yankee or whatever. Um, if you start designing your own terrain, then you've got that option of selling it. You know, offering it to people for sale either as the 3D print files or just the finished product. And then you can still get it at a reasonable price, just depending. Um, technology on that front has really developed too, obviously. You know, before we just had the PLASLA spool-fed 3D printers. Now you've got resin, yeah. UV curing resin like what I have that is about half the time, two or three times the quality because it really doesn't look 3D printed. Well, and then there's a little bit more pride too because you made it. Yeah. And you printed out. You took the time to get it to where you want. And if and you're uh, the one designing it, that's even cooler. So, yes, and it, it, once you get to the point where you can design your own train, it's it's a good deal. It, it's a real good deal, and it does. I mean, I'd say Games Workshop train is expensive, super expensive, super cool, but super expensive. Yeah, it is. It's just it's not. Expensive. It's not something you can invest a ton in unless you have a ton of money. I look at those people online with these just hugely elaborate forty k tables. And, like, there is probably $1,200 just in terrain on that table. So, it's like, I can't, I, well, I can't afford to do it, and I can't justify the cost. And you got to remember, some people, so, it, you can afford it if you can. More power to you. It yeah. is not a, uh, it's, that's a good thing if you can. If you can't, like me and Clint, we really, we're like everybody else. You know, I mean, hey, we live week to week, and we're not able to go dumb four or five hundred dollars on terrain all the time and so but once yep. you invest in a printer like you did Clint, yep. then your terrain becomes cheaper so if you buy a file for 
say four or five bucks and you print something out for a dollar yeah. now, now instead of spending 30 bucks you got a piece of train for five bucks yeah exactly so you are big time saving money and it's something you did that just makes the game more fun because you created it you put it out there you know and uh yeah and even I mean, you just say printing parts so the old gw pipe sets you know their little, oh, yeah, their little yeah. conduit pipe sets are awesome but you get two angle pieces in that entire set two well you get a lot of straight pipe you got a lot of other pipe but you have two angle pieces being able to print an angle piece is just brilliant just because you can you know it, it now can give you more options you can stack pipes on top of each other you can set things it's not just a bunch of pipes in a row with a few you know components here or there you know it's just there's just so much more you can do well, that's that is true. Yeah, because especially and, with the conduits, you can run them all around that you oh, yeah. board that way. You know, I've got a bunch of those old colonies. Those are old colony sets that I've been adding the conduit stuff to, to give it a little more realism. You know. Yeah. You know, you've got all these ruined like settlement buildings, but there's obviously big pipes and other components and uh, chimney stacks and stuff like that to to make all of that work. And like some of the walls of the broken buildings now have pipes going to them. And a control component inside them, even though half the wall or most of the building's gone, you know, you at least, uh, you kind of got a feel for what the building used to be. Even, you know, it's just not just two broken pieces of wall with some little control boxes, you know, cast on it. Now you got this pipe with a fan inside it. Now you've got this control box that, you know, it has little removable power cells and outside of it is an antenna that, or a chimney that goes all the way up, you know, about two stories up to nothing and the top of that's broken off, you know it's just there's a little more history it, it makes it feel real, even though it's not real Yeah, um, it adds to it, in depth even sure. just two stories with a bit of floor and an odd window, or um, a three story building but only the top two wall corners of the three story is still there it looks like it was something. It gives you a small glimpse or definition of what the building's purpose was. An administration building, a factory, whatever. I know I'm kind of really sticking with 40K, but the same would apply to like King Yankee, for example. I mean, you've got old buildings. And when I say old buildings, I mean like your medieval buildings, your, uh, your old cobblestone huts with thatched roofs. You've got your... Uh, old dilapidated farms. Uh, you've got your uh, bombed out factories, your, your old World War II buildings. Well, King Yankee being takes place in like the 80s, 90s, you know. Those old buildings were rebuilt after the war, for example. I know I'm kind of now focusing World War II and Cold War era, because that's what those two games encompass. Um, people rebuilt those buildings. That's what happened in real life. It's not a, uh, you know, just this was this, or sometimes they actually got left to be, you know, left to just rot and fall down. You might have a couple walls and a chimney. Uh, but people in real life rebuilt those buildings. So that little, the little uh, farmhouse or the little cottage that I'm working on that's actually 15 millimeter scale, but it's four flames of war is what it's originally designed. So thatched roof, all that, that good stuff there. Uh, by the time I put a modern roof on it, 
add maybe a little steeple. Now this little cobblestone home is now a small church. You know? Yep. Now you so, made it. And now it's brought into a more modern decade, and we can use it for Team Yankee. Now we can't really use it for Flames of War with the roof on it, but you know what? You still technically use it for Flames of War. No one's really going to question the roof, but it's a possibility. Uh, it's just kind of kind of neat that these these doors are opening that I didn't notice or you know ever utilized before. You, you know what I mean? It's I don't want to say dual-use terrain, but it is. Yeah, actually, you, you know, can use I it mean, one way or the other, so... so really, the big thing you got to factor in is scale. Most of your minute, your historical stuff is going to be 6mm, 10mm, 15mm. Your bigger... Now, there is some 28mm historical, like bolt action and, and a few other things like that. Um, but a lot of the 28mm stuff is going to be your sci-fi fandoms, your, your sci-fi, you know, your, your futuristics. Um, there's a lot of games, like, obviously, 40K, Kill Team, all that stuff. But the interesting thing with the 3D printer is, at least with mine, I can scale that up or down. I can take a 28mm building and reduce it to 15mm. Oh, well, that's can, even better. As long as my print bed will accept it, I can take a 15mm building and scale it up to 28mm. It, it, you know, and sometimes you might have to break that into a couple pieces. So it might require two wall sections, for example, that have to be printed separately and then glued together. But now you've got the larger or smaller terrain. Obviously, downsizing is going to be easier. No doubt about it. Plus, it lets you tweak things. Okay, that is a dead end. So we're going to go. We're not sure where we're at. Yeah, well, I, I kind of know where we're at, but... <laughs> Kind of somewhat. Well, that's okay. There's I don't feel so bad driving into the snooty golf club in a, you know, $50,000 truck. At least I feel I kind of belong. Feel like you belong? <laughs> I like that this house has no golf carts on their lawn signs. That's kind of funny. That is funny. And that's one of the reasons why I would never live near a golf course. That and the but, golf balls in your glass windows. Oh, God, window. yes. No, I'll pass on that. Um trains that people don't think about a lot are simple trains like bridges. Bridges uh, adapt and fun to games. Yeah. yeah. They, there's so much that a bridge can give you. Um, uh, water towers, lookout towers, power conduit units, um, you know, like uh, power substations. You know, when you start looking at even 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you had a lot of, and I'm kind of ro ro roping back to Team Yankee here, you had a lot of what we currently have nowadays, just not in the new, shiny format that we currently have at the yeah. campus. But you still have them. Uh, it's the same as vehicles. Good, good example of vehicles. You see people drive around in 30s vehicles. N newer looking, restored, or junky. It doesn't matter. And it, that's true for the United States, that's true for Europe, that's true for France, you know, there are a lot of old cars, even in France and Germany, especially in Germany, um, they really do restore a lot of their old stuff. But you get a lot of engineers in Germany, it makes sense, people would want to do that. Uh, they fit, though, in a modern setting, I guess you could say, like, again, Team Yankee, 80s, 90s, there's no reason someone can't be driving a 41 pickup truck or 
you've got an old delivery truck parked next to a farmhouse that's slightly overgrown with weeds. Yeah. You know, there's no reason cool. it can't be there. It fits. It's taking a fantasy setting like D&D and dropping a 58 Chrysler into it. Eh, that doesn't <laughs> quite work as well. Funny, but not quite. Yeah, you'd have to do a little bit of something you different. you to stress that, reality yeah. a little bit on that one. But it still works. It's just, yeah. Yeah, you gotta get creative. That There's no doubt about that. Well, the thing with terrain is there's almost no end to it because trees are trained, mountains, yep. Yep. hills, uh, whatever boulders. you want to add, boulders, you know, uh, ponds, water. Yep. All sorts of stuff can be terrain, but it, uh, it always, like I said before, it always adds depth to the game for me. It's just a Especially little Especially the water. Yeah. Depth. <laughs> I get that. Said. Clint just made a funny. That's yeah, funny. That was yeah, that's right. Water does have depth to it. It so. does. And yeah. when you get a really cool water terrain, or or if we're talking about war stuff, trench systems from World War One. Yes, those would be fun to run or fun to make. Is trench so, systems. The neat thing with some of that terrain, which I've seen people do, and I'd love to do it myself, is you have a raised gaming bed. So instead of your here's your ground, it's flat, it's the bottom you actually have a lower level that the trench system sits in and ground is four, six inches up off the table. Right here in greater Atlanta. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash a second chance it was hoping Greater Atlanta's hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. It's time to put on your party hat at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel. From the thrilling yet intimate experience of Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel in Murphy, North Carolina, to the Vegas-style resort at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in Cherokee, North Carolina, these destinations will brighten your day and light up your night. Must be 21 years of age or older to enter the casino floor and to gamble and must present a valid state or federal photo ID upon request. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enterprise of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. And so you're playing in a, definitely a more three-dimensional era there because you've got the start of your trench, the end of your trench, the way through. You could do, and I have seen uh, bold action games in trench warfare where there was this really cool, I want to say it was like four foot by four foot trench system. And there were no vehicles. Everybody was just moving, you know, U.S. forces versus German forces moving through the trenches. And the whole game was played in this trench system. You could go up oh, over wow. the trenches to another. I, was, I, I didn't watch the entire video, but it was neat. And, you know, this is, we're talking trenches. So they took, like, popsicle sticks and other bits of balsa wood and made the trenches in the foam. And they just glued them in and then painted it and added, you know, your barrels and your car, your ammo crates and your ladders and your barbed wire. And then really there was no grass. I mean, it was all mud at that point. So you just slop a bunch of mud in between the pieces, maybe some vehicle tracks, broken down artillery, a few bodies possibly, you know, however you want to do it. <laughs> but there's your terrain, you know. Yeah. It's just really cool. And, you know... 
that's a lot of fun. It's kind of the same set for like spaceship corridors or even caverns for fantasy settings where you've got just a big map on there that is all just these tunnels and caverns and you might have multiple levers and levels and multiple levers. Yeah, levers. levels. Well, you might have those in the dungeons. You probably do have those in the dungeons. Maybe some of the sci-fi stuff too. It's quite possible. It, it would make sense. But uh, it still adds a really cool level of realism. And if you can have a two-story miniature, if you can have an under part that you could get the miniatures in and out of, yeah. That's really cool. You know, I I always thought with the Fallout Wasteland Warfare, it'd be fun to do a vault, for vault a vault tech vault that you could work oh, your way through, you might and have... you would have different levels and. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be neat. And it might take you a few, a little bit to print that, but you it, probably could do well, a small vault, like part of one that's well, open, like it's cut open. And seeing Modifius provides vault files that oh, you can three okay. D print. Oh. Yeah, I need well, to there check you out go. Site I mean, again. Because yeah. if you're buying it for you, then that's yeah. all good. Yeah, why not? I don't. I have a conundrum with 3D printing terrain and selling it. Is I don't want to. I'm not going to sell somebody's design. You know, if somebody spent the time to design this, I'm not going to sell it to make a, a profit off of it. However, I'm on the fence with. I should still be able to sell it for the material cost I made to print it. The time I made to print it and the cost to ship it. Yeah. Now I don't want to pass this off as my own, and I know I'm not going to be doing a lot of big sales. But when I start designing my own stuff, then I will definitely be selling and printing and everything. So there's that conundrum there. I need to look a little more into the legalities of that part of it. If I print off a set of terrain for someone, can I charge them for, you know, the resin, the time, the the shipping, for example, if there's shipping involved? That's my conundrum on that. You know, because it's not really my design, but especially if the design I purchased, you know, maybe I paid $5 for the file. So I can make as many copies as I want, but, you know, then it's a, uh, you know, is it okay to sell? Is it blah, blah, blah? No, well, that's not good. That road's closed. Oh, yeah. I know where these roads go. But, oh, this is what a truck's made for, too. Yeah. It's probably thinking, we're on a dirt road now, you guys, so. Yeah, we're on, uh, it's a, what, Class C gravel road? Forgot. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a dirt road, and it's a nice time of day. And you know what? Here's the other thing. These commutes bring up ideas for us, too, for terrain, because yeah. sometimes you're not thinking about things. You know everything, but you're driving down the middle of nowhere. You go, ooh, that'd be cool terrain. Or, yeah. You know that looks like it's cool. So um, we do actually learn a lot doing these yeah. little commutes. Yeah. True. We have fun. But yeah, terrain. I think you know. I mean, your imagination. You can pretty yeah. much do whatever, depending on your game. And if you're doing sci-fi games, well, then you can pretty much make whatever you want. You were talking about getting the program to create your own terrain. Yeah, I, I've got. So, I need to learn it. I'd love to just do simple things like conduit pipes and you know whatnot. Um, you know, uh, ruins. I love to do ruins. You know, I would love sci-fi, fantasy, whatever ruins. I just love ruins. Period. So you know, the more we can make, even just simple two or three wall pieces, that's going to be some terrain on the table. It's going to give some depth. Give something for the miniature to hide behind. And, 
you know, maybe shoot through a window or a broken section or, you know, the upper floor. Cover bonus. Yep, cover <laughs> bonus. Maybe your sniper's on the third floor because yeah. you have to climb up the broken wall pipes. And um, Speaking of another thing, that got me thinking. So all those supports on the 3D printing, I've been not really just tossing them. I've been just throwing them in a container because I couldn't figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Well, some of those supports have attachments to each other, so they're like two or three pieces. Well, they're the right scale for 15 millimeter piping. For buildings like condo pipes and water pipes, oh, and so, awesome. so, so you, can you know, use them I've got these long little strips. You just clip them where you need them and glue them in as, as little pipes. We can add a little more realism. Adding detail to your train is, is another really cool aspect on that one. Um, it's just something simple, like maybe a, a small shards of glass left in the window, or uh, wires hanging from a control box, or you know, conduit pipes, electrical pipes, whatever. Yeah. Uh, maybe a ladder that's been a makeshift ladder that's been left for getting up to the second floor or two-thirds of a stairwell and somebody just put a board across it to you know get to that little area you know any little things like that are totally acceptable and really add some realism to the miniature again that's going back to kind of giving you a history of the building bullet holes in doorways that are propped up I got one piece of uh, 40k terrain that I, the two pieces were identical and I had painted them and they, they looked identical so I'm like well this is cool but I don't really I don't need two that look identical so I'm like how could I make this cooler so I drilled some holes in it chucked it out with a exacto knife and then I really did a dark wash like bodies had been stacked against and executed oh wow so there's the staining from the black coming down over the paint which is already faded and chipped from the sun and everything else but it now it's two pieces of the, of the same terrain, but there's a little more realism to it, you know? You, you kind of wonder, like, ooh, what happened here? You know, it's just that simple. Or, you know, just claw marks on a, you know, piece of metal door or wall, or just, you know, uh, even, I've even seen a little, like, pickaxe thing hanging out of a wall where something got embedded in the wall. But you that know? just adds to the game. Yeah, it, it, I it love adds, the, yeah realism and really games like fallout wasteland warfare that's advantageous because you can grab that pickaxe and use it as a weapon well yeah true you so, can pick up items yeah that so, that's some good ideas yeah. you got there clint i mean so i don't know we'll have to see what your imagination yeah, can do with your I'm printer gonna, there and take it from there we're gonna kind of go one at a time and we'll keep you know keep an eye on the facebook page we're gonna start definitely putting more of that up and some of the terrain that I create and sell, or create and print, will sell, you know. Yeah, well, you can do that, too. I mean, once you figure out how to do your own, then, you know, it's yours, so you're yeah. not interfering with anybody. And that's the other thing, you guys. you got to be careful. So if you buy a file, you got to make sure that, uh, you know, if, if people are thinking to buy to resell, you better make sure that you have the rights to yeah. resell that file, because most of them you're not. But you are still going to save money. I don't care. Keegan, he paid seven bucks for this dice tower. You guys have seen our dice tower we yep. printed. Um, Ashley threw some touch-up paint. You know, all in all, um, I'd say he saved probably about 20 bucks yeah. doing it himself. 15 to $20 yeah. because it did take a lot of material, about 12 to $13 worth of material. And then he paid seven, so he paid twenty. But this yeah. is probably worth about forty-five, yeah, forty, forty-five dollars. Sure. You know, so you're still going to make money on 
on saving on the big items too. And yeah. of course, if you can save money on your train, then you can buy more miniatures and stuff. Or more train. Yeah. Or upgrade your train. Yeah. That's just, I don't know, I've got a real amusing on terrain. I, I like having terrain discussions, because then it makes me think about, it gets me more to think about terrain. And especially the stuff I'm working on, because sadly I get started in this project, and now, like this little cottage, I don't have the roof pieces, I have to order them. Well, that'll be here in a couple days. So now I've got another train project going. I need to start focusing on that of, okay, well, I can do this on this day, I, I can do this on this day, but I don't want to get to where I'm forgetting, oh, well, I got this finally, I got the roof pieces in, now it's going to sit on my desk for a week because I'm doing this other terrain project, you know, and now it's like, oh, well, this is going to get in order, now it's two weeks later, three weeks later, I'm like, oh, I didn't glue That's the roof on you this, you know. That's because you keep interrupted, though, yeah, too, in all fairness. That, that doesn't help, but... Well, I'm going to fire up the Stargate so we can just go different places. Yeah. And and uh, I found two AAA batteries. That should be enough to power it. Sure. And uh, we'll take a little charger. And we'll just go somewhere where we're left alone and we can you know, work on our terrain pieces. That's such a place it exists. I, I don't know. I hope so. In my imagination, it does. Well, yeah. A lot of things exist in our imagination, good and bad. But yeah. <laughs> that's a different show. But, yeah, that, that's, show. that's probably not a... a you know, web friendly <laughs> shell there for that one. Um, anyway, moving on. Craig and Quinn's <laughs> first. <laughs> off scale. Wait, off scale. Off Never mind. Scale. Yeah. We got off yeah. scale on that one there. So. We got something all right. But ay, 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 I don't yeah. know. Um, I want to do more on 3D printing stuff. So I want to have more podcasts. I want to do more videos. We're going to do a really cool video on some of the RC stuff as well. And it's not just. Um, how to upgrade your RC or anything. I'm not really going to go into these great build RC stuff. Yeah, there's but people that do that already. But There's a lot. And I, I might have a separate offshoot for some of that stuff of what I do. But I wanted to tie in the 3D printing and, and you know, the 3D printed uh, upgrade parts for my 1RC that I made. I want to do some casting with that into aluminum. So I'm going to do a video on that. I think we'll do a really cool little video all together on that guy. Then I can post on the RC page. I can throw it on the gaming page because honestly, if you have a 3D printer, you're not stuck doing one thing. You know, you can print so many different things having a 3D printer. And there are other things you can do, like what I'm going to do with the RC upgrades, to make things stronger and better. So. Well, not only can you do terrain, you can modify other things that you're working with, yeah. like you're saying. And so, terrain-wise, yeah, we covered quite a bit there, Clint. You yeah. had a lot to say, which is good because terrain, again, is an integral piece of gaming, I think. And some of the, and it allows you to, the printer will allow you to do different time frames of yeah. terrain. <clears throat> because as we, I'm heading a little bit, I'm going to try a little bit of the historical gaming. I mentioned that the last podcast, so uh, we'll see about that too. But the options to make your game change every time especially yeah. if you've got different terrain it's not the same thing every single time because then it's like anything else it becomes boring so yep. if you can mix up your terrain that's good yep. um, and we we bought enough pre-made pre-assembled train that now making our own is kind of like us yeah we leveling need, up a little bit yeah yeah that's actually good i like that and i i think we need to really start doing our own stuff and getting our stuff out there 
I, I yeah. think we're at that point now where it's time to start focusing on it. It's time to start investing a little money into it. See if we can get some return on it. I mean, I don't expect us to make us millionaires, but if you know, you and I become that becomes our job, where we're just making and designing terrain and doing all that. Oh, that would just suck. God, it'd be so terrible. Yeah, it would be. You know, I just oh, we'd have to go to the conventions to show our stuff and talk to the fans and. And we're going to conventions um, anyways. Now we could have stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And, and we want to thank you too because we do get a lot of feedback, probably more than you think we do, and uh, yeah. we appreciate the comments and things like sharing our videos or like this podcast will be on YouTube. Share it if you think somebody's interested. They want to sit yep. and paint and listen. That's cool too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, if you guys want to just listen to us ramble while we drive, well, I drive yeah. and Greg rides, but still. Um, that's awesome, you know. I like having background noise that maybe isn't, I don't want to say mindless, but it just kind of can go and your brain will pick it up. Your brain's an interesting thing. It, it'll it'll grab those and you might be in the middle of painting something doing detail. You're like, wait a minute, what? And then you got to back that up I, and see. I got to use my brain? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's really bad if you don't. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It leaves and then Who you're are just, you? Yeah, SOL. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bad. Yeah, well, it, it is, uh, we don't script our stuff. Like, oh, we'll God. just sit here and talk about, what do you want to do a podcast on? Yep, here's, um, our, here's our subject. And here's our we subject are getting much to... better at staying on topic. Yeah, there's I, a couple times you tried to divert it, but we, I, I like, know, I go-kart to... bumped you, Mario karted you yeah, over. Yeah, I... Threw a turtle shell, smack. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot I want to talk about, and that does make it difficult well, to stay focused on one subject. That'll give us time, though, to do other yeah, podcasts. Yeah, sure. And when we do the live ones, you guys can call in. When we do them on the Podbean app, you yep. can call in. Um, the other apps you can obviously listen to, and we're everywhere, so yeah. you can find us pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of neat that we got yeah. picked up. So yeah, no, that and, is really uh, cool. Some of the companies are starting to, you know, like our stuff. So that's cool. Yeah. Now we're not making money yet. Haven't made one cent yet. But we are, we are having fun, and that's going to be the goal of this whole thing. We already work. We already told you guys, we got jobs. You know, so this is fun. If it goes somewhere, fantastic. If yeah. not, we're still going to do it. Yeah. And you guys are still welcome to be here and. I, I think yeah. at this point, well, one can always backslide by not doing anything. I think at this point, Greg, we have invested enough. We've committed time enough. And yeah. we can always do more. You can always do more. You can always improve. You can always learn. You can always do more. But we're starting to invest enough that we're, we're, we're maintaining and growing. Yeah, and it's a steady growth. You, you guys, know, if, you, if you're hearing this or not in our Facebook group, Feel free to join. We we just had the other day like 13 people yeah. join. And every week we have people, odd, it could be oddball numbers joining, but yeah. just steady growth. And there's a, a whole diversity of gamers, you guys. It's not, we're in other groups too, you know, but uh, but we got a pretty good diversity. So it's a little different where we're at. Um, and you'll see us, we like the miniature stuff too, but more is coming on the video on like today. I know Ashley was uh, live streaming Sea of Thieves. Nice. So, yep. Sea of Thieves is a real fun game. If you like any kind of RPG, classic type piratey games, then Sea of Thieves is a fun one to get on a game with a couple of your friends. You all got to control the boat. So, 
and you can shoot your friend out of the cannon. You can always try that. But that's handy. It's handy. It launches them from the boat onto the shore. <laughs> but uh, that sometimes is just fun to do. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's just something. It's just something to do. It, it, it's like those certain games where, yeah, you probably shouldn't do it, but boy, it's kind of fun to. You're just gonna do it. Yeah. You know, it's that. Well, that I know the vehicle's going to go explode at the bottom of the cliff, but I'm gonna see how far out I can go before it hits the bottom of the cliff. And we're counting you know? one, two. Look how many times it tumbles. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, terrain. Oh, back to terrain. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We almost lost it there, but see. Well, no. I mean, we're, really. we're kind of. Yeah. But Quint's gonna put some more pictures up. Our Discord, yeah. you guys, you can join our Discord. Yeah, that's. I'll already put the link up because it sometimes it expires, but I said it so it wouldn't. But I found, I'm thinking it does. Yeah, we're, we're starting to get activity on Discord more and more. Yeah. Um, especially on the Team Yankee side and There's all sorts of little areas. So you can talk about video games, tabletop yep. games, 3D printing, whatever. Whatever's related to gaming in general. So it's open to all sorts of gaming and hobby stuff. So yeah. head on in yep. if you'd like. And I don't know, Clint. We do have a show on Sundays at 4 p.m. Yep. Central. Gamer Hangout Live. Um, so Now that it's 5 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah. But so Ashley's doing that today, you guys. Yep. Um, for us. Because yep. we were out of town anyways. Look yep. at that. There yep. is a vulture. Yep. Um, sorry, the vultures are huge. We need I think that was a turkey vulture. Turkey vulture. Still, it, yeah. It's a big bird. Yeah, bird. Anyways. Not giant yellow. The, the kid show was wrong. Could you imagine that big bird running down the street? I'd have to stop him for an autograph. That, that dude, right now, being you know eighty some degrees, that guy would be hot. That'd be like, dude, out. you need a water. <laughs> First of all, to be able to run in that big bird costume, just just to run in general, that would be hysterical. Half the time they're struggling just to walk. Yeah, I don't know about running, and that looks top heavy. But anyways, yeah, we'll okay. wrap we this one up. We at yeah. the end, but that's fair. It's the end. It's fair. Well, so you guys are free to yeah. join us wherever you'd like, and on other social media platforms. So just say hi. You got Give suggestions, some suggestions for terrain files that I should check out? See yeah. what we could utilize or what you think. You know, send it our way. Use the Discord. Send us a message in Facebook. Whatever. Say hey, these are. This is a cool place to find this terrain. You know, let us know so we can check it out. Because I'm open to that right now. I'm doing a lot of research on what we can find and what we can use. Yeah, and it's just going to grow. So you'll see it in our games and you'll see it, you know, on the yeah. pictures on Facebook. Clint's going to be uploading more to the groups. And uh, if you can do those little short videos, send them to me and yeah. I'll post them for you. Yeah, we're going to work on some of that too. I'm going to do yeah. another rotating spinning vehicle. That one, it's all assembled. And then, of course, once it's all painted and... I like that little display thing I got for, other than it rotates a little faster than I want it to. The one um, I got lucky, when I picked yeah. mine up, it has three or four speeds yep. and you can slow it yours, down and it makes it nice. Yours is really cool. I should look at something like that just because mine is just a little too fast. Which Mine is for model cars, so that kind of makes sense. And I don't really like the mirror deck on mine. I might peel that off. Yeah, if you get one that turns a tad slower, then yeah. the miniatures will show up better. But yeah. on, on models, cars you're gonna be just fine because it's big enough it's big know? enough yeah so but, we'll just definitely have to oh your buddy's out oh the squirrel yep, yep there he is he's looking for his food so we will catch up with you guys yeah. later i'm gonna go toss some yep. food out for the squirrel and then 
jump in. I'll, right. I'll, I'll kick the podcast on on my phone while I drive back. And All right. Well, I'll catch so. up with you in a few minutes. Right. Then. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. Are you expecting a child tax credit? Deposit and spend it securely with the BB&T Money Account prepaid card. It makes managing your everyday spending easy. Apply for a prepaid card at bbnt.com slash money account. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. to the Genesis Temple podcast. I am Damiano. I have the pleasure here of having with me Francisco Gonzalez, who is the designer of Lamplight City, Golden Wake, and is currently working on Rosewater. Hello, Francisco. How are you doing? Hello. I'm well. Thank you. How are you? Pretty well. Thank you. And today with me, I have another special guest co-hosting with me. I have fellow journalist Jesse Gregoire. Hello, Jesse. Hello. How's everyone? Good. So, uh, I will just ask Francisco the usual question that I ask all the guests, and it's how did you get into gaming development, and when did your passion for gaming begin? Oh, can I answer the second question first? Sure, go ahead. (laughs) So, I guess my passion for gaming began when I was about, I don't know, uh, probably about six or seven years old. I sub- I got a subscription to Nintendo Power magazine and as it happened that if they had an offer where if you subscribed you got a free uh copy of Dragon Warrior for the NES. And I I remember reading the manual for Dragon Warrior and like reading about it was my first ever RPG and and reading about like you know the idea of quests and going and giving things to people and for some reason I was like wow that's so cool and then of course I played Dragon Warrior and it was a lot more grindy than that, but that's another story. But anyway, um, I mean, I had played games before that, but um, then I kind of discovered adventure games and, like, Hugo's House of Horrors, and, and I played King's Quest V on the NES, and it was just something about the gameplay of, like, the RPG slash adventure, even though more leaning more towards adventure just the idea of like going on quests and solving problems and talking to characters and things like that that gameplay just it it just excited me and i really liked the idea of that and from pretty much that time until i found adventure game studio which is the engine that i use um i was i always wanted to make my own adventure game so in about 2001 I just happened to be Googling Adventure Game Maker, and I found Adventure Game Studio, and uh, I made a couple of crappy little games in it just to see that I could make something. Um, And I just started making games as a hobby 
and in 2013 I released well uh, 2014 uh, I released my first commercial game which was a golden wake and then I made two more and now I'm working on my fourth so that's the short answer <laughs> and yeah remember the the community around uh, AGS the adventure game studio back in 2001 was just starting by, but there were there were already some interesting titles um, yeah definitely I mean except for the obvious ones made you know seven days a stranger those yeah, small class cult classics I would say one of my favorites was I don't know if you ever played it uh, uh, well, the pronunciation is almost impossible. It's Plerberg, something like that. Oh, Plerberg, yeah. yeah. I was just talking about Plerberg the other day because um, Plerberg was like one of the most ambitious freeware games mm-hmm. for, at that time because it was like it had multiple days. It was like this really complex. I think it had multiple endings. Um, mm-hmm. It was long. It was like, in you know, for a one-person game, it was like impressively long. And, like, it had those gory close-ups with, like, the the music that was, like... It was really atmospheric, too. And I actually remember uh, somebody parodying that in one of the Reality on the Norm games. Uh, So (laughs) it was, like, one of the first AGS games to get parodied, which was really bizarre to me. (laughs) Which was was also really cool. But, yeah. Yeah, it was incredibly ambitious. And um, it's kind of a shame that the the developer... uh, Planned to do a sequel, but I think never really materialized. Uh, actually, on the really fat chance that he's listening, you know, get in touch because I would love to interview <laughs> you. But you know, yeah, I I I wonder what ever happened to him, Krille Blomquist. I met him a few times. He used to come to the to the AGS gatherings, mittens. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw him. I think it was it might have been 2010 in Italy. Really. Uh, yeah, I think that was the last time he came to a mittens, and so yeah, I don't know what happened to him. But he did, he did make two other games, Calsoon and Calsoon Two. Those were also great. <laughs> yeah, it was like a total one eighty in tone from Plurkberg, because Plurkberg was like the dark, gritty murder game, and Calsoon was about a guy who didn't have pants on. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a it was a, a very interesting time for uh, adventure yeah. games. Yeah, it was a bit you know everything goes, but uh, let's throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. It was very interesting in, in a way, despite you know. Yeah, it was great. Pretty things were pretty <laughs> amateurish, of course, but that was the interesting, I think, bit. Yeah, yeah, but there was a ton of creativity. It was, I mean, there still is, but. Yeah, especially at that time, it was like, I don't know, maybe it was because we were all younger, too. It was like, you know, it was fresh and exciting, and it was like, oh, boy, we can make adventure games. And now it's just like, eh, I guess I'll make another adventure game. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I actually also planned to do a whole uh, series of horror adventure games. I actually wrote uh, the plot for the first chapter. I wrote the whole Bible of the universe. That was uh, you know, maybe a bit over my head that uh, I actually needed someone to do the graphics and to do the sound. And of course, I was just, you know, writing and writing and say, you know, maybe one day someone will come around and he <laughs> will make the graphics from my <laughs> game. But, you know, it never came. So, <laughs> oh, that was it. Well, I mean, you did you 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 took the right steps. I mean, writing a, a whole design Bible and everything, that's totally what you need to do. I mean, that's that's great. It's just, yeah, I know it's. 
it's i mean i was saying the other day like you know not being able to draw didn't stop me from starting to make games i i didn't write the whole design bible or anything until i was a few games into the ben jordan series which was the sort of series i cut my teeth on but um yeah i just made a game and drew a bunch of crappy graphics and threw it together and people seemed to like it and then i just kept going from there Um, and this brings me to something that I wanted to ask you, because as you mentioned, you um, you started developing by yourself and you kept it. I mean, now your partner, you've mentioned, is taking more of an active role, especially on Rosewater. But basically up until now, it's been a one man band from what I understood. And was this out of, um, let's say, necessity or what it, is something that you planned? Uh, no, well, I mean, I'm still for the most part like i would say like for rosewater specifically it's mostly me but it's been nice to have someone else to like bounce ideas off of and get feedback from whereas before i would just kind of write everything down and then like with lamplight city i wrote everything and then gave it to her to look over whereas this time around i'm like hey before i design this and before i do this what do you think of this and then she'll be like oh well yeah okay or no maybe we should think about this so Yeah, I mean, it's not so much out of necessity, but also mostly because I want to have another opinion <laughs> on things and not just because, you know, it's really easy to to start self-doubting, even though, you know, I've done this for a while. I'm still like, oh, is this do I still can I still do this? Like, is this any good? So it's it's nice to have someone to keep me grounded and like give me feedback on stuff as I'm doing it rather than once I've already done it and then it's a lot harder to change things just because of my own stubbornness. I've read that it it is now, I mean, it has become your daily job basically working on uh, on video games. And I was wondering um where do you find uh, inspirations for uh, the characters or the story or no no the puzzles? Um I mean it comes from a bunch of different places. I mean, um It depends really too on what kind of game it is. Like, you know, Rosewater is a Western, so obviously there's a lot of uh, source material to draw from, even though I've been trying to purposefully stay away from things. Like, I haven't played Red Dead Redemption 2 because I haven't wanted to get influenced in any way by that for whatever reason. Um, it's hard to say like I, I you know I sit down and write something and some an idea will come to me and you know sometimes like when I'm designing characters I just kind of think like well what personality type do I want to ha- this character to have and then it sort of grows from there I I never really base characters on people I know necessarily like I might like think about people I know and their particular personality types or or defining characteristics like if i think oh well who do i know who is let me think of something nice uh <laughs> who do i know that's like you know <laughs> likes to talk a lot or who who's like the life of the party that sort of thing you know i might think about that and like things that they say and not necessarily like include actual things that they say so it's not like oh this person is clearly based on so and so or even it, it could even just be other fictional characters too like um Yeah, like for example, perfect example. Um in Rosewater, like there's one character who I wanted to ha- have like a memorable entrance when they're introduced and I was thinking, well, what what characters in media have great introductions? And I was like, oh, well, like Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. 
Like, it, it, he's introduced with no dialogue. It's purely visual, and you know exactly what kind of character he is from his introduction. So I kind of took inspiration from that for that. And then, I don't know, little bits and pieces from things here and there. That's that's kind of how I do it. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally with me, you know, being from Italy, of course, I want to see some clear Sergio Leone uh, influences. In oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've, t- well, obviously, I mean, you can't make a Western without giving a nod to to Sergio Leone, but I actually haven't seen too many of his movies. Um, I've Obviously, I've seen, like, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. There's another one I really want to see called Duck, You Sucker, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I haven't gotten around to that yet. But yeah, it's also, it's also really, I've been having to tell my composer, like, it's really easy to lean into like the the Ennio Morricone tropes, but try not to go too far in that direction. Because <laughs> yeah, you you want to be inspired, but you don't want to be like ripping off. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about uh, I don't know if you ever played it, uh, Outlaws from LucasArts, that was uh, heavily inspired by <laughs> by Sergio Leone. Especially the soundtrack was very very Morricone-ish. Oh yeah. There's one track that's like a complete ripoff of, uh, um, I forget the title, something about like the, yeah. the something of gold or something, but that little piano like, you haven't mentioned puzzles, so I will, <laughs> oh right, 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 I haven't mentioned puzzles, uh, <laughs> well, I think it's because puzzles to me are like one of the harder parts, um, it's it's tricky to talk about this now because like there I know that there's like you know there's definitely the the more uh, traditionalist hardcore adventure fans who feel that like if you don't if your game doesn't have hard puzzles that you get stuck on then it's not really an adventure game or it's too easy or whatever um, and then there's the other side who are like well adventure games shouldn't have any puzzles because you're not you know, no one wants to get stuck anymore, and it's, you, it's super easy to find a walkthrough online, and blah blah blah, and all that stuff. I, don't, I I've been hearing the discourse for a very long time. I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Um, I feel like game adventure games should have puzzles, but I also feel I actually listened to uh, a little bit of the uh, your first episode with Mark Yohalam, and I I agree as far as like puzzles should be integrated into the story. I don't like it when adventure games just kind of throw a random math puzzle or number puzzle or whatever that's... It's just like, oh, solve my weird combination lock on my safe just because we need to have a puzzle here. I I think that 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 breaks immersion. Um, I, I like to design puzzles thinking about what they can tell you about the world or the characters. Um... But I also don't really feel like super complex puzzles necessarily benefit the game. Like, I was thinking about this, and to use the classic example of the Monkey Island games, um, this is another can of worms I'm opening yeah. up. <laughs> because, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, I know. For me personally, I think, like, as overall, uh, just a blend of everything... Curse of Monkey Island is my favorite one. But, yeah, but puzzle-wise, I actually think that the secret of Monkey Island has the best puzzles because they make sense. 
Like, there's not, with the exception of maybe, like, giving the cannibals the pamphlet about how to get ahead in navigating, because that's, like, a pun, and I don't think it's it's really beneficial to have puzzles that are based on puns and wordplay, because it totally limits your audience, but, and there's hard to translate, um, if you go that route. Like, like the monkey wrench in Monkey Island 2. Right, right, but that's the thing, right? So, like... In Monkey Island 1, the puzzles made sense. You know, like, you had to get a prisoner out of jail because you're told that Grog is, like, acidic, basically. And so you have to, like, transfer it between mugs as you go. Or, like, like the rubber chicken with the pulley in the middle is pretty absurd. But, like, you use a pulley on a cable. That makes sense, too, right? Like, so, so they're all grounded in some form of logic. And then starting with Monkey Island 2, you started getting these more absurd, like, the monkey wrench or... Um, I guess, well, the spinning contest kind of makes some sense, but the puzzles kind of started getting more absurd. And there are some, I'm going to say it, there are some crappy puzzles in Monkey Island too. <laughs> but so I feel like, yeah, you know, puzzles for me, when I design puzzles, I like to keep them more grounded in real life logic. But then the problem with that is that people think in real life logic and therefore they get the solutions a lot quicker and therefore they think that it's easy. So I always feel like the difficulty depends on the absurdity of the puzzle, and I don't like them to be absurd. So there's all... Oh, God, I've gone on a rant. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> there's uh... <laughs> Actually, um, for Rosewater, like, realized... I was I was kind of going over the puzzles, and I realized that there was one puzzle sequence in particular that was kind of just really too easy, because... To avoid spoilers, I'll try and I'll try and keep it as vague as possible. But basically, there's a there's a puzzle sequence where you have to get into a place to find something, and there's two ways you can do it. You can either um, get into another place by uh, deducing a code, which you do by talking to other characters and like figuring out based on facts that you're given uh this code which you then have to input in a console or you can cause a distraction by gathering some items for one of your companions and he causes a distraction so i realized that the puzzle sequence was basically just okay you talk for the code like you had to talk to the characters and then you put the code in and then you did your thing and then that was fine and then for the distraction thing you just kind of found the items like there was one bit where you had to you have to use a tool to get one of the things but the tool is just lying there on the ground you pick it up and i thought okay well that's just there's multiple steps but it's also just too easy so i was like well how can i add an extra step without making this just bad (laughs) so i realized well okay so the tool just lying there on the ground is too easy so i started thinking well how can i make this a little bit more complex so i was like okay well what if the tool is out of reach and now there's a puzzle where you have to like figure out how to get it down from somewhere so i was thinking about that and i was like okay well this could work but then this also only applies to this one path i need something to make the other option more complex because you can do either or so then i realized okay well what if just like you can't put in the code because there's a knob missing from the console and you have to replace it. Okay, so there's another step. So then I realized, okay, well, I can kill two birds with one stone. I'll just put both of these things 
the tool and the knob in a box, which is out of reach. So now I added an extra step where you have to figure out how to get it down. It's still, like, a logical puzzle, but now I just added a bit more complexity to make it hopefully feel a little bit more rewarding, etc. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was thinking about what you mentioned about uh, real life versus um, the usual... Um, I wouldn't say the usual. I mean, the classic uh, moon logic of, uh, of adventure games. Because in a way, if you ground your puzzles in real life, as you said, right. you're, you're giving the, the public certain expectations. I mean, that if I do something that is logical to solve that puzzle, that will work. As opposed to, you know, the usual, uh, to open this door, I gotta grab the hair out of a cat's butt <laughs> that is passing by <laughs> the street uh, every Tuesday evening at uh, 4 o'clock. <laughs> right. something like that right. and, yeah. and I, I think that what works maybe better is trying to at least for me of course it's trying to strike a balance between these two kind of extremes let's say because uh, in a way I think you know designing puzzles puzzle with moon logic is relatively easy in that we have grown accustomed to that kind of logic so it's really easy to uh, make a puzzle that makes sense only in your head and then right. try to push the, the player in that direction. Uh, while real life is, I think, more difficult to make a puzzle that both makes sense in real life and also uh, entices the player to solve it in a more maybe creative way because if it's really you know plain and obvious, then because as you said, it can be really easy if it's just you know plain real-life problems. Let's say so. I think, in a way, that for me, the best design is that that you know takes a bit of both worlds <laughs> and tries to make it uh, the best of both worlds, as opposed to the worst, of course. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've noticed, which is interesting, is with respect to inventory puzzles, I feel like when most players or designers talk about inventory puzzles they're really talking about one specific kind of inventory puzzle because i mean inventory puzzles kind of f fall into several categories there's just plain old use the item on something and it should work as intended like you pick up a crowbar you use it to pry something that makes sense okay fine there's like manipulation type inventory puzzles where you get an inventory item and you have to like change its properties somehow so like i don't know you get like a remote control or something but it doesn't have a battery and so you have to like find a battery put it into the remote control and now it works or that's a simple example but you know nothing too crazy um and then you have the combination puzzles where it's like okay i need to get this piece of paper off of the branch but i don't have a fishing rod so i'll use this stick and this piece of string and this pulley and i'll tape them all together and make a fishing rod i feel like that particular puzzle that sort of building a crude tool out of a bunch of unrelated items that's the one that everyone latches onto. that's the one that has the most potential for absurdity it's like the puzzle in sam and max where you have to make the the like contraption out of the golf ball retriever and the the severed hand and the magnet to get the mood ring 
yeah that's a rough one <laughs> and it's like that's the kind of puzzle the inventory combination puzzle logic that people seem to think is what you have to do so i don't agree that that's the solution i mean i i think inventory puzzles are fine it's just don't make them crazy like that how how important do you think puzzles are to adventure games on the whole because i found myself just uh, gravitating towards the ones where yeah there's some difficulty but i i prefer narrative in story yeah i mean like i said i don't i don't like it when puzzles bring the narrative grinding to a halt because it's like oh well now you have to solve this this puzzle my go-to example is still life and the cookie puzzle oh yeah um for anyone who might not have played still life it's you play as an fbi agent who's investigating a bunch of murders hunting a serial killer you also play as her grandfather in flashbacks in like 1920s prague who's also searching for a killer who is has some similarities so there's so she goes home to like read his files and that's the frame the setup for how she's like playing as him because you know it's supposedly she's reading about his exploits and that's what you're playing and so like okay yeah this is an interesting setup then when she gets home her dad's like please bake me some cookies and then you you can't you can't proceed and read about her grandfather until you bake him the cookies <laughs> and the recipe isn't even straightforward it's like an ounce of love two two <laughs> grams of inspiration and you have to figure out there's no clues you just have to kind of brute force trial and error or maybe there are i don't know i only played it once but you kind of like have to figure out how to make the cookies based on that and it serves no purpose whatsoever yeah there's a, there's a maniac on the loose yeah exactly there's a maniac on the loose i need to read about my grandfather why am i baking you cookies i know it's christmas but come on take the a break. maniac is the one who wrote the recipe I think. <laughs> that's right that's right i think <laughs> the serial killer like purposely <laughs> wrote the recipe to stop you gosh yeah but but yeah so something like that 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 just kills the pacing like it's fine if they had put in an obstacle were that prevented you from reading the files because you had to do something else that maybe was related to the serial killer your investigation or like something else but to just be like oh big cookies for your dad that's that, that's out of nowhere it just feels ridiculous but <laughs> but yeah i mean i i think puzzles you know people expect that they're sort of the core gameplay element of adventure games i mean i i feel like adventure games to not make them just be sort of interactive movies or, or walking sims or whatever. They need to have some sort of challenge uh, puzzles or obstacles or whatever you want to call them. But I, but again, like they need to integrate into the story because otherwise they're just... But I mean, I, I with Lamplight City, I experimented with not having inventory puzzles in the traditional sense because I didn't feel like they had a place in a detective game. I didn't feel like a detective would be mashing random items together to create tools when he was trying to investigate stuff and he was perfectly capable of getting other people to do things for him or, you know, opening doors, calling a lock. Like a detective will call a locksmith to open the locked door. He won't cast a key out of like clay and and mold you know stuff like that i i think yeah that leads me to to i think lamplight city is i think one of the best examples of of what i'm talking about because 
the I think that was almost puzzle perfection for me. Oh, uh, well, yeah, not you. to be too much of a sycophant, <laughs> but it, you know, it, I enjoyed that game. I could. There's not often where I can play an adventure game without thinking, "Oh, I need to take a break. I'm stuck on this puzzle." But with Land of right. City, I was just engrossed the whole way through, and I never felt that the puzzles got in the way of of the story or being interested. It just kind of it just rolled smoothly. Well, thank you. Um, I will counter your praise with self critique by saying that um, I do feel like I only put puzzles into the correct solutions. <laughs> so, so like I would say each case in Lamplight City has maybe one major puzzle like the in the first case you have like the harpsichord puzzle um but that one you can only access if you get the correct solution to the case if you go down any of the other paths in any of the other cases and accuse the other suspects it's pretty straightforward just like talking to the characters and searching and gathering evidence and stuff but the actual like puzzle puzzles i really only put in to like the correct solutions both because i wanted it to feel rewarding but also because i thought it would be too much to just like have a puzzle for a solution that wasn't the correct one where looking back i probably should have had a bit more puzzles for those too because otherwise it's like it becomes fairly obvious which solution is the correct solution but i think i did that out of a concern that I had when playing Sherlock Holmes consulting, or not the consulting detective, um, Lost Files of Sherlock Holmes, the serrated scalpel. There's a bit where you go to a pub and you're trying to get information out of the bartender and he's like, oh, I'm not going to talk to you unless you are good at darts, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and and you have to play against, you have to play a darts mini game against three other patrons of the pub and it's only if you beat them that the bartender will talk to you. And then finally, after you go through all that, you talk to the bartender, and it turns out he doesn't have any useful information. So it was all for nothing. <laughs> um, wow. So there was a there was a quote-unquote puzzle there, even though it's a minigame, but you just went through all that, and there's nothing. So I wanted to avoid doing that, which is partly why I was like, well, if you're not on the correct path, I'm not going to make you go through this whole thing to be told, you know, it was all for nothing. Although technically it wouldn't have been all for nothing because you could still have accused that suspect it just would not have been the correct suspect but all self editorializing aside um i'm i'm glad that you that you enjoyed that because it was it was tricky it was tricky to design puzzles that weren't inventory based because it's such a common thing it's you know you have to think outside the box in a way to to figure out puzzles that are not purely inventory based yeah i, I feel like you actually had to put yourself in the character's shoes rather than thinking yeah. like an adventure game where you just open your inventory and say okay i'm gonna try everything on this door you right know? it was funny because like i would watch people play and as an example that that first case with the harpsichord like you don't you encounter the harpsichord like pretty early on but it's not until the very end of the case that you figure out what it is you need to do with it but like I put clues around, like I put, because it's a it's a music puzzle, and I know that can be hard for people who don't who like are tone deaf or who who are deaf. Um, so I wanted to make sure that you could do it even if you didn't have sound on or whatever. So like you know, each key obviously has a hotspot that shows what note it is. So I put a a little piece of paper in one of the rooms that shows you 
the C scale and like what each note is and what it corresponds to. So like even if you are not musically inclined, you can just match. And it was really funny to see like a bunch of people would uh, a bunch of people would would find the harpsichord and be like, "Oh, it's a harpsichord and I can play it. This must be a puzzle." And then they would go into the room and they would find the the picture of the C scale, which was just, you know, do re mi fa so la ti do. And they're like, "Oh, I found it." And then they would go back and play do re mi fa so la ti do and be like, "Why isn't anything happening? I found the solution." I'm like, "Wow, how that's like such an adventure game mentality. Yeah. It's hilarious." <laughs> well, while we're on Lamplight City, there's mm. one thing I've always wanted to talk to you about. The setting is so unique and uh, basic. I am, I have dual citizenship. I'm half American, half British, and I've spent half my life in each country. And one thing that I've always thought is, you know, what would America be like uh, had the revolution not happened? And, right. you know, and how, I don't know, it's a big thing. You know, there's a lot of contentious issues in America at the moment. Sure. Healthcare and, yeah. and uh, you know, <laughs> everyone says how great of a place Canada is to live. And, you know, if you think, right. well, America would essentially be like Canada had that not happened. Except less French, probably, but yes. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and I just thought that Lamplight City, I, I wasn't, you know, pl- when I first played it, I wasn't expecting to, to find so much of that in there and then you know playing it i just thought wow this is like the one game that has captured this kind of essence you know where um slavery would have been abolished earlier and uh, all these different right. kind of things and i just you know kind of wanted to pick your brain about how you really came up with that idea i don't want to say it was sort of out of necessity but it kind of was because i mean originally the idea for lamplight city came to me because i just thought i want to make a detective game and i want to make it like sherlock holmes style like 19th century not thinking about like the setting or anything i i was essentially going to make it a real world thing but then as i thought about it i was like well i mean so many detective games are based on sherlock holmes and and it's a pretty pretty used up setting so then i thought about alternate history and then i thought well i mean if i make it in the uk Obviously, if I set it in London, when it comes time to do voice acting, I'm I'm going to have to cast British actors, and that can be complicated. So, I mean, it's it's a stupid way of thinking, but I'm like, I'm in New York, I'm going to cast Americans. So let me make it in a let me do an alternate history. It's in America, but it still has elements of London and stuff. So let's let's explore this idea that it's an alternate history where. It's not America, it's Vespuccia, and it's still a Commonwealth uh, constitutional monarchy. Yeah, that's kind of how that came about. And I didn't want to, like, make it the forefront, but I also didn't want to, like, gloss over the uglier parts of the history. Like, you know, I wanted to talk about the fact that slavery was a thing. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, we magically fixed racism because there was no revolution or or whatever you know however you want to spin that but then you know the the whole like steampunk thing sort of came about and i i or struggled with it for a while trying to figure out exactly what steampunk meant um because i didn't want it to be like typical you know just like aesthetically just oh there's gears on everything 
but just like diving into it, I realized, you know, steampunk deals with a lot of the issues that I was trying to deal with anyway. Like, essentially, it was like the themes of the Industrial Revolution, just different technology, more more advanced or more fantastical technology. You know, so I so that was that was pretty easy to work in there. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that that it worked for you because every now and then I get you know Steam reviews that are like, oh, keep your politics out of my game, out of my games, because they don't they don't like that I that I talked about political stuff in the game, which is hilarious well, to me. Look, nothing is apolitical. Oh, of course. My I think my my favorite Steam review was uh, someone who who claimed that it was I was attempting to brainwash them into being a communist because I was saying that the uh, they were like oh of course the the right wing politician in the fifth case like he's the bad guy because he it turns out he was a wife beater and a horrible person and blah blah, blah. and I'm like he he's actually not a right wing politician if you paid attention you would see that he's actually the left wing guy but that i didn't even think about that it was like <laughs> i don't know it's pretty funny. <laughs> one of my favorite steam reviews sorry uh, about lamplight city was the one that says this is a point and click adventure made by someone who hates point and click adventures <laughs> oh i didn't see that one but that's hilarious i love that it's so true <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like a compliment, basically. <laughs> yeah. I'd, oh, are you kidding? I'd take that as a mega compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not... I mean, I don't hate point-and-click adventures. I just... I hate the tropes of point-and-click adventures that that don't go away. I don't know if we should keep this part in, because I don't want to sound like a rambly old man, but... Look, we're getting cancelled anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk bad about other games. I'm not going to mention names. Uh, I was shown a demo of a game, and it looked beautiful, and it was really nice, but the first thing you did was talk to three guys behind a table, and they were called three important-looking other profession. And I was like, why are you doing this? Please stop doing this. (laughs) Please. There's other games. There's other games than one that came out 30 years ago. Please stop. I mean, I can't talk because I lifted the aesthetic from Gabriel Knight 1 for Lamplight City. Sure. It was just an aesthetic choice. It wasn't like... A a direct reference. Yeah, I tried not to do a direct reference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is something that me and Jesse also uh, talked about. um, uh, I would call it like the burden of the past. Like the sins of the past. Mm -hmm. The sins of the fathers, maybe. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah. Uh, Of of, uh, adventure games. In that... Uh, there's this, um, for me, it's incomprehensible necessity for many adventure game designers to have this kind of uh, continuous homages to the past, continuous reference yeah. to the classics, which, I mean, uh, it was maybe funny to see that when, you know, maybe 15 years ago, maybe. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it, 2021 that <laughs> i think yeah. that we had enough monkey island inspired games you know sierra inspired games yeah it's like it's it's always done in this sort of like wink wink nudge nudge fashion it's like you know you go to the movies now and they're not like making little wink wink nudge nudge references to silent movies <laughs> or you know film noir or whatever you know you're not reading books and they're not making little wink wink nudge nudge references to like war and peace or i mean i do understand it's nostalgia 
I think you know the, the nostalgia element has a lot to uh, to do with it. But yeah, I mean, it's like there's nothing wrong with admiring the classics. Obviously, you know, there's this there's a wealth of great stuff and great material that came before. But it's really just counter counterproductive. I feel, and it's holding everyone. It's you know, it's holding games back instead of like you know forging a new path ahead and creating new stuff it's always this just like looking back and going back to the stuff before and like yeah it's fine to acknowledge that where you came from but like stop being obsessed with it but but people treat adventure games like they're different from normal video games almost like like you wouldn't go back and say i'm gonna play the original quake over the new quake or yeah well it's also, I think, because of the... I think they get a bad rap because of the, the, the moon logic and all of that stuff. So it's this it's this never-ending cycle of just like, oh, adventure games are dead because they had terrible puzzles. And then it's like, no, they're not, actually. There's still lots of people making them, and there's actually more people making them now than there were back then. And then it's like, oh, well, but that's not really an adventure game because it doesn't have the crappy puzzles. But then it's like, but you just said that they were crappy and they, they're they dead because they had crappy puzzles. So which one is it? You can't have both. Yeah, I think my, my theory of adventure gamers being like a cult uh, <laughs> actually revolves around uh, the, this celebrated death, uh, I'm making air quotes, of adventure games. Yeah, in that, I think it's been going on for almost twenty years that there's been this whole uh, funeral celebration going on uh, of uh, adventure games being dead. But uh, I mean, clearly they're not. So I think in a way, each developers. I wouldn't want to say all developers, of course, but you know the ones we mentioned uh, as being you know hmm. a little bit. Uh, too much uh, going on on the nostalgic side of things um, feel the need to like you know state to the world by making the the references to the LucasArts and Sierra games they have this need to say oh but we're still alive we're still alive and kicking we're not dead but I mean we get it it's been almost 20 years and point and clicks are still a thing yeah no I, I think probably what a lot of it could have to do with is just the fact that the whole like oh adventure games are dead narrative is an easy one to just latch onto and and you know be i'm not saying that advent all all developers are doing this and i hope none of them are doing it for this reason but i kind of feel like to me it's like as an armchair analysis thing it sounds like you know you can say oh they're saying adventure games are dead well that's not true because I'm bringing them back. I'm making an adventure game. Look yeah. at my adventure game. And also, remember the ones you used to like? Well, mine's just like that. They're not dead. Look, there's Cedric the Owl. <laughs> Watch out, it's a poisonous point and click. Yeah, exactly. We should talk about something else happier, because otherwise this is just going to be a old man yells at cloud podcast. Okay, let, let, let's let's bring us up to something a little bit happier then. Um, okay, I've seen that you also. Um, I, I don't know if you do it if you do it anymore, but uh, I've seen that you did um, some st- uh, streams of your development of Rosewater, I think. And yes, it, it, it is interesting that um, I think it shows uh, kind of a new 
side, let's say, to the whole uh, making uh, a game, uh, especially an, uh, an adventure game. What is your... Um, what is your reason for doing it? What do you think? What do you like about it? <laughs> My main reason is to keep me from being distracted and going on Twitter and, and stuff. <laughs> because I know if I have an audience, I have to be focused. Um, but no, I, I like doing it just to have like people in the chat engaging with me and like talking and stuff. And, you know, sometimes we talk about the game. A lot of times we just talk about just random other stuff. I did a stream yesterday, actually, and... We started just listening to like the soundtracks to Battletoads and the first <laughs> Ninja Turtles game on NES and stuff and talking about that stuff while I was drawing. But yeah, it's it's nice to sort of I mean for me it's nice because I have like I have people to talk to and or talk at <laughs> and uh and I, I keep myself from being distracted. But I mean I you know, people seem to enjoy getting a glimpse at the behind the scenes process. Mostly I, I do art stuff on the streams because I feel like writing obviously would be A, boring, and B, spoilery. Um, sometimes I do coding, which also I feel can be a bit boring because it's a lot of repetition. It's just like, okay, I coded this thing. Now I have to test it. Now I have to test it again. Now I have to test it a third <laughs> time. Um, I'm, I'm like People like to see the game in sort of the work-in-progress state with like the placeholder backgrounds and dialogue and stuff but mostly i stick to the art like the drawing the backgrounds and the animating the sprites and stuff but sometimes people give me like real time critique which is good too and yeah it's just a it's just a fun little thing but yeah i do that i do that every wednesday uh at one eastern time on twitch uh and sometimes i do it other days i did another extra one yesterday like i said and yeah it's it's fun i started doing it with lamplight city and I just kept on doing it with Rosewater. Um, and, and, like, later, once it gets to that point, sometimes I do, like, uh, voiceover editing streams, which is also fun, but can also be spoilery, so I don't do that one as much. But, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, to to have some kind of real-time feedback, because, as you said, especially if it develops everything by himself, uh, it's easy to get lost in your own mind, uh, either to self-doubt yourself or just, you know, to uh, start losing the, the plot, let's say. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it is a kind of a new thing because, I mean, traditionally, let's say, games, uh, you, you got feedback the moment that you, you had something ready, that you could, could get someone to play test it. Well, today, you get some kind of, you know, also real-time feedback. And do you think um, it adds some kind of a new new value or, you know, something like that? Um, To an extent. I mean, it's not quite as involved as, say, beta testing because, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually playing the game. And I'm, even if it was a, a case where I was just, like, showing off the game... You know, it's it's not the same watching someone play their own game as it is to like play it yourself and test it and and try different things and stuff like that. I mean, I've I've watched other people's streams where they're like coding stuff and they they hit a bug and they can't figure out what's going on and like people in the chat help them and like fix bugs and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, I'm not the only one that does this. I you know, uh, Julia Minamata, who's making the Crimson Diamond, she has a stream on Tuesday evenings, and uh, the team that's doing Theropods, uh, Costas and Sarah, they do a stream, they do a dev stream on Mondays and I believe Thursdays. 
And I know Dave Gilbert, well, he doesn't really have a, a set schedule. He kind of just streams whenever he has something interesting to stream. But, like, he, he you know, he, he'll stream development of the game, too. So there's a lot of indie adventure developers who are who do streams. It's sort of like an early access thing, but not quite. You don't have to be quite as beholden to people, like, say, with a Kickstarter or something like that. But it's a cool way to, like, let let people who are interested in and see sort of how the sausage is made to use a a tired phrase and the sausage is made by combining uh three pieces of string with uh, <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> the hair of the dog yeah yeah well better than the hair from the cat's butt yeah <laughs> there's a lot of animal hair going around in our adventure there really podcast. is you know i Okay, so I, this is a this is a tangent, but I I used to teach a class for a local uh, game organization here about uh, adventure game design, and I used to have a section about like puzzles you should avoid, and I noticed that there's this disturbing trend in a lot of adventure games to have puzzles that involve sticking things to animals, <laughs> and. I mean, I guess the the cat hair mustache puzzle kind of applies because you have to like get the cat to go through the hole to get the that the hair on the tape. But like Broken Sword 5 has two puzzles where you have to stick things to animals. Secret Files Tunguska has wow. this absurd puzzle. It was in the demo. I never played the game, but I played the demo. So this is how I know about it. There's a puzzle. I swear, you have to eavesdrop on a conversation. Have either of you played this game? Uh, a, a while ago, but never completed that. Okay, so there's a puzzle where you have to eavesdrop on a conversation in some people inside a house. And the way that you do it is you have to... There's a cat outside. You have to feed the cat some salty food so that it gets thirsty and it goes inside and drinks water from its bowl. But you have to tape your cell phone to the cat and then call your cell phone so that you can hear <laughs> the conversation <laughs> through the cat cell what? phone thing and it's like why what dude, in what wow. world does this make sense <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah there's there's so many i mean there's i can think give you at least five examples of puzzles where you have to stick things to animals and it's just worrying <laughs> someone call the someone call the asp or the spca <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I was actually uh, kind of afraid to mention the the classic Gabriel Knight three puzzles because when I did oh, yeah. when I did a short research on the, the you know the, I'm making air quotes again the death of adventure games uh, for for a series of articles you know basically it gets blamed for a lot of yeah <laughs> classic adventure game sins and it's yeah. I mean. It, we, I think we can all agree it is a bad puzzle, of, bad puzzle, of course, but I think that there's many like it. I mean, <laughs> it's not really oh, the, sure, the worst sure. that I can think of. I mean, it, it became yeah. like the scapegoat for all the bad puzzles designed in adventure games, but I mean, it was just basically par for the course, I think. I mean, it, maybe it's because it came very late in the discussion, I mean, like 1999, I think it was. So maybe yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah. I was also mentioning this to Jesse. I think the one puzzle in the longest journey that made me so angry, uh, of course, was the inflated rubber duck. That right. To place right. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was 
you know, maybe not as terrible as the cat hair puzzle, the cat mustache, but up there, you know, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. But, but, here's a question. What do both of those puzzles have in common? Ooh. Uh, They're both puzzles where you have to take a bunch of random inventory items and combine them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was an easy answer. (laughs) I mean, the cat hair mustache puzzle a little less... Well, kind of, though, because you have to make... You have to get the cat hair, but then you have to make the mustache by, like, putting maple syrup on it to make it sticky and then you also have to like do the whole like you know mark magic marker on the passport thing but you still have to combine a bunch of inventory items to make a new crude tool thing which is what you have to do in the longest journey one so see that's 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 exactly what i mean like that's we agree those are both crappy puzzles and those are both crappy puzzles because you have to make these absurd things out of a bunch of unrelated items and yet that's what people think of when they think of inventory puzzles, when there's so much more you can do with inventory. Yeah, do you think people just, like, who new developers of adventure games just emulate rather than trying to innovate? They just say, this is, oh, this crappy puzzle was the one I played. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm casting judgment, but from my own personal experience, like, I didn't, I, I didn't go to game design school. I just started making adventure games because I liked adventure games. And... In my personal experience, when I started designing puzzles just because I was like, oh, adventure games need puzzles. Well, I guess it should be like this. And yeah, I looked to those types of puzzles thinking, okay, well, it makes total sense to like do a puzzle where I have to get this random thing and do this thing with it. So yeah, I think I think it's definitely an easy... I don't want to... See, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, well, you're lazy if you do this. But it's definitely... It's definitely an easy solution to say, okay, well, let me emulate what came before because that's what's there instead of sitting down and thinking, why should I do something different? I mean, admittedly, it's hard to innovate in adventure games because the gameplay mechanics are, they're pretty well established and there's not really much you can do to to change it without drastically changing it so much that people will say, well, it's not an adventure game anymore. There's definitely ways to to improve the user experience and, you know, the quality of life playing it. Like, you know, having hotspot indicators so you don't have pixel hunting anymore. Or, or... The Longest Journey did something, actually, which I am using for Rosewater, too, um, which was when you select an inventory item and you hover it over the screen, it only highlights over things you can use it with. I, I think The Longest Journey does it over stuff that's, like, the correct solution. But I'm... I, yeah, so, like, in Rosewater, I have a, a setting for hotspots where inventory items will only highlight over hotspots where an inventory item can be used as a solution to a puzzle. And I did that so that I would minimize the amount of just randomly being able to click inventory items on everything and being told oh no that doesn't work because i realized that 95 percent of the time in adventure games the main character is telling you no i can't do that no I, that, that doesn't work no i don't want to do that no and in games where like the main thing is exploring and trying things out i feel like if you're being told no all the time 
why are you playing a game where someone's just telling you no all the time? That's not fun. Yeah. Do, do you think this is kind of where some people who play it might think it's a dumbing down? Like, as, as we were talking about earlier, some people see any kind of aid in a game as kind of, oh, this isn't... Yeah. Just because it's not ab- completely obtuse... It, it is therefore not yeah. good. I think there's always going to be going to be people who who have those criticisms, but I think that they're the vocal minority. You know, I like I said before, I don't really play adventure games that much anymore, and not because I think they're bad. It's just I spend all day making them. I don't really want to play them, but I think the majority of people who play adventure games want to play them to enjoy the story and enjoy the world and enjoy the characters and not get angry and rage quit because they couldn't find something i'm sure that there's people out there who enjoy the frustration associated with that sort of thing but i think the the majority of players don't like that frustration and i i don't think that designing for frustration is good and again like the dumbing down thing I don't think it's so much dumbing down as just realizing that you have to you have to work with with the times changing. Like, you know, back in the day when you had these frustrating puzzles and you had to call the hint lines or whatever without the internet, there also weren't that many games coming out. Like, you know, Sierra was putting out LucasArts 2 or like putting out maybe one, maybe two games a year. So if you got an adventure game, you could play it for a few months and not have anything else. That was your only game. So you had all the time in the world to just like figure stuff out or call the hint line or whatever. Now it's like not only do you have the internet to go and look up a walkthrough, but you also like have 80 new adventure games coming out every day. So if you if you quit because you can't figure something out, what are the, what's the likelihood that that player is going to come back and finish the game ever? Yeah, this is um, an interesting point in that I I think I mentioned it a couple of times in my podcast in that uh, the player today has a lot of choices. I mean, um, as you said, in the 80s and 90s and you know even beyond that a bit, you bought a game you, that was also kind of expensive and yeah. You, yeah. you were basically stuck with it. I mean, right. <laughs> sure, there were yeah hint lines and yeah the late nineties, also the internet, but yeah, that was it basically. That was one, two game per month, maybe three if you were lucky, but that was it. But um, today, even if you spend I don't know thirty dollars, thirty euros a month, which is you know a reasonable amount, you get monthly services and free games and xbox pass and you know playstation plus whatever you get an unhealthy <laughs> an unhealthy amount of games to play each month and uh, you know not just venture games you know generally speaking but i mean where do you even find the time to f- look at each of them to give it you know enough time to see if it's your kind of game or not because yeah. you, you get so much choices and as you said now it's become really a question of trying to get people interested trying to get uh, the word out there you know trying to have some kind of interesting new uh, thing to say or you know even joining a trend you know like cyberpunk <laughs> mm-hmm. right and 
but yeah, it's it's become difficult because uh, yeah, adventure games used to be a kind of a niche product, even if it was you know by software houses that had some kind of very large budgets. But you know, it was still pretty niche. And today, it's you know it's still pretty niche, but there's a lot of stuff to play, even free games on uh, other websites, on Itch.io, for example. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's really become difficult for a designer to have that you know that spark, that something else, which is something I think you did pretty well in your uh, in your releases in your titles to have that kind of something that intrigues the player and drags them in, which it, you know you, you immediately look at the game and say oh that's Lamplight City or you know oh well thank you, I try and. My philosophy is always I want to make a game that interests me, obviously, but you know I also want to make a game that interests other people, and I I try and think about like you know what can set my game apart from everyone else and give people like a unique experience. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, I have just one last topic since um, we we we've made it pretty clear that you don't play ad- adventure games with point and clicks. <laughs> So I was curious. Um, what are your um, your favorite games? You know, lately, what are you playing? Oh man, I'm playing games that are way too out of date. Uh, so I, <laughs> I've been playing a lot of XCOM 2. I have been making my way through Assassin's Creed Unity, uh, which yeah. I got like back in March. I think it was on sale, and I was like, oh, this is the this is the one like major entry in the Assassin's Creed series that I skipped. Let me try it and. I've just been, like, loading it up occasionally for a couple of hours and just running around Paris collecting treasure chests. <laughs> it's so boring, but it it just, it's it eases my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, occasionally I'll play uh, other stuff. Um, my girlfriend really likes FMV games. For some reason, I hate them. We played one recently that was something else. Uh, it was called Port La- Interrogation Files Port Lensend. Um, it was basically like her story, except except not as good. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to talk bad about other games, and here I am. Wow! Bad about other games. <laughs> wow! I can't I can't believe you just said the Crimson Diamond was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Crimson Diamond looks great. I'm I. It's okay. So the Crimson Diamond, I'm excited to play. That's like one adventure game I'm actually looking forward to playing. Okay. So the, um, I think that's it for me. If Jesse wants to add anything or ask anything, uh, no, I think that's it. I have a question for you. It's, oh, go ahead, a, of course. It's a very stupid question, but I, I, I would be disappointed in myself if I didn't ask it. Is your podcast called the Mega Drive Temple in Europe? Wow. <laughs> How long were you saving that question for? for? I've been thinking about it ever since I got the first email. (laughs) 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 Which, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be because you're both in... You're you're both in Europe and the UK, so I I, I assume. Yeah, we're we're both in Europe. Uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I mean... um, I'm also gonna bother um, replying. Uh, <laughs> and no, because you, you know the idea for the Genesis Temple uh, dates back from 1996, I think. So okay. It's kind of old. And back then, I was 12 years old, and I found that Genesis was such a cool name 
for our console. Uh, mm. I kind of changed my mind since then, but okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I thought, yeah, as you said, you know, the Mega Drive Temple is not going to sound as good. So I think we're just going to go with the Genesis Temple, you know, because back then websites had to have all these kind of cool names, and yeah, sure, kind sure. of religious atmosphere. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, that, that that was the idea. But yeah, it's not a bad idea um, to make a kind of European version on the it's called the, the Mega Drive Temple. We just talk about Euros and Brexit. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, I think we've come to the end of our podcast. I would like to thank Francisco for his time. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for for your time. Thank you. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.